millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. 
future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Now, noblegoldinvestments.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. It's the final countdown, ladies and gentlemen. Today is the third day, final day, of the Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs trial. And I believe that what we're going to hear today is possibly a cross-examination from uh, Carrie Lake's attorney, Kurt Olson. Uh, it could be Kurt Olson or Brian Blem cross-examining Ray Valenzuela, the election administrator of Maricopa County. Because where we left off yesterday was the county presented Ray Valenzuela as one of their experts to basically try to refute the claims made by Carrie Lake's expert, uh, Eric Spikine. Yesterday, Eric Spikine, uh, he, he said that in his expert experience as a forensic document analyst and somebody who examines uh, signatures on a regular basis, that's his life's work for the past 30 years, he finds it absolutely impossible, this claim, that somebody could possibly compare signatures in under three seconds. He says he has never encountered somebody in his lifetime that could perform a signature comparison in under three seconds, right? So that was the claim made on the record, and uh, Maricopa County attempted to put Ray Valenzuela on the stand to refute that. And what Ray Valenzuela did was basically give a few examples where somebody could potentially, uh, you know, approve or reject a signature in under three seconds. For example, he said there are people with disabilities who they are allowed to just make like a check mark. Um, and as long as that's what's on their voter registration file, you know, they're allowed to make a check mark. And as long as the two match up because of their disability, they're allowed to do that. And reason would, would tell you that somebody could uh, review that in under three seconds. And I would have to agree. But the problem here is that while he gave a couple of examples similar to that, I doubt that those voters constitute the 270,000 or so uh, ballots that were approved in under three seconds. I seriously doubt that we have 270,000 disabled voters that are signing their ballot affidavit with a check mark. There may be a few, there may be a few thousand, but there's certain, certainly not uh, 270,000 or 70,000 or whatever this number is that the Lake uh, team has put forth. And by the way, these numbers that they put forth, this chart that was presented, was was created based on the uh, information provided by Maricopa County through a public records request. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think what we're going to hear today is a little bit of cross-examination, then closing arguments, and we're not going to get a decision from the judge uh, today. He is going, I, I believe there's still some documents that have to be submitted. He has to review those, and he can't make a decision until then. Although the county requested that he make a summary uh, judgment yesterday based on, as they said, the fact that Carrie Lake has failed to uh, prove through a competent mathematical basis that the outcome of the election would have been different uh, based on a lack of signature verification. And she's also 
failed to prove that there was no signature verification in Maricopa County. They they allege that just based on the fact that Carrie Lake put forth um, witnesses on the stand that were involved in the signature verification process, that alone uh, refutes her own claim. Because what they're arguing, I mean, they are trying to win this battle. Um, they they the county believes that all that they have to do here is prove that there was some form of signature verification in Maricopa County, you know, at level one, level two, and level three. And they think if they can do that, then they've they've refuted Carrie Lake's claim and the judge is going to dismiss this. Whereas, as we've talked about, I've I've become a broken record at this point. Whereas Kurt Olson, Carrie Lake's attorney, is saying that uh, essentially... These people that work within the signature verification process, they have to follow the statutory requirements in order to meet the standards laid out by the statute and the election procedure manual in order for us to consider their work valid, right? It's not enough for somebody to just log into a computer and click approve, 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 approve. Okay, that does not meet the statutory requirements. Per the Arizona statute, they are required to compare the signatures, right? So words are very important here. In the statute, it's very clear that they are to compare the the ballot affidavit signature with the signature on file, right? And so if that is the statutory definition of what they're supposed to do, you have to actually conduct a comparison in order for us to say, that a signature verification occurred, right? So we have an expert saying that that cannot be done in three seconds. Uh, Super Buff Shaft says 1% got signature check. That's all that matters, right? That's the argument that they're going for. I am Goldstein says, hey, all, what's up, Wilfsters? What's happening, I am Goldstein? Hello, Suzette, Diana, K74. I decided to fire this up a couple minutes early, by the way, because Rumble... Uh, has a little delay in their notification system. So I figured if I set it up now, people will get notified when they actually, uh, when the judge takes the bench. So we are waiting right now. And uh, yeah, this this is really, it's a nail biter. I got to say, it is a real, real, real nail biter here. Because on one hand, I feel that Kurt Olsen, uh, Brian Blem, maybe not so much, but Kurt Olson has put forth a solid argument to prove that there was no signature verification. But on the other hand, I remembering the fact that Carrie Lake had Okay. So the judge, everyone's taking their seats now. I think I should shut up. We will expand upon that during one of the breaks. Real quick, I'll just say it. I was going to say, on the other hand, Carrie Lake also has to prove not just that a, a lack of signature verification occurred, but also that it, the the lack of signature verification would have rendered the outcome of the election to be different based on a competent mathematical basis. And while I feel that we've proved that no signature verification occurred, I'm not sure that we've proven that the outcome of the election would have been different. 
And so that could be problematic for Carrie Lake. All right, I'm going to go ahead and shut up now. Hey, please. Good morning, Your Honor. Brian Blem on behalf of Plaintiff Carrie Lake. Good morning, Your Honor. Kurt Olson on behalf of Plaintiff Carrie Lake. Good morning, Your Honor. Elena Rodriguez Armenta for Governor Katie Hobbs. Lexis Danman for Governor Katie Hobbs. Thomas Liddy from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office on behalf of the Maricopa County mm -hmm. Defendants. Emily Krager from the Burgess Law Group on behalf of the Maricopa County Defendants. With um, me is Joe LaRue, Karen hartman Sayes, and Rosa Aguiar, all from MCAO. Good morning, Your Honor. Craig Morgan for Sherman and Howard. I'm at Secretary of State. Very well. Good morning to all of you. Please be seated. I just assumed as well that uh, I've stated every time we come back on the record that the presence of your clients is waived. I'm, I presume that throughout this, you're waiving the appearance of your clients on both sides. Sometimes people come in, sometimes they, they don't. I don't mind either way. Nothing is being inferred from either a presence or absence, but have I properly inferred that if they're not present, their appearance is waived by both sides? Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. Yes, Your Honor. And Ray Valenzuela is here as the client representative. Right. Yes. That's, that's correct. Okay. Very well, then. Uh, as we left off yesterday, Mr. Valenzuela, if you could come forward to the witness stand, sir. You're still under oath, and I'm going to remind you that in just a second. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. So, Mr. I'll give you a second to get set. You recognize you're still under oath, correct? I do. Well, continue with your examination, please, Mr. Ray. Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning, Mr. Valenzuela. Good morning. I've just placed in front of you an exhibit. Um, would you please read the number on the green stamp that's on there? Exhibit number 29. Number 29. Do you recognize this document? I do. What is it? It is a facsimile of our label sheet that we utilize for when we are curing and to identify the actions taken on a given affidavit, envelope, or packet. So when an employee, either a temporary employee or a full-time employee, is working, was working during the 2022 Maricopa County general election on the signature verification process that was assigned to curing, how would they utilize these stickers? So every attempt, every action made by that employee that's for that particular specific packet would get a label affixed, you could have multiple labels for multiple attempts, and they would identify the action taken, and again, as done yesterday in the exhibit, these act, these 
abbreviated actions, uh, left voicemail, LVM, left message, letter sent, all of that would be indicated and tracked utilizing these labels and the date that it was occurred or had occurred. Thank you. And during the 2022 general election signature verification process, do you have personal knowledge that these labels were in fact used by your team that was doing signature verification and curing? I do indeed. Thank you. Your Honor, may I approach? You may. Your Honor, I move for the admission of Exhibit 29. Any objection? No objection, Your Honor. 29 is admitted then. Mr. Valenzuela, I just placed another document in front of you. Um, would you read the number on the green tag? Exhibit number 30. Do you recognize that document? I do. Did you tell the court what it is? It is our standard work document, if you will, with regards to how we manage one of the options for a voter to cure or contact us when we reach out to them uh, with a question or no sig. And how is it used? This one is for internal staff that are assigned to the process of curing. Uh, there is, in addition to some of our temporary staff, but there it is a, a detailed explanation of how that process, how to go into the SFTP secure uh, file transfer protocol folder for when a voter, as an example, this one is specific to what we call text to cure. A voter can go into a portal once we send them a letter saying go there, validate their information, and then upload a, as if they came in person, upload a photocopy of their state driver's license or state-issued ID. And, Mr. Valenzuela, do you have personal knowledge that those activities you just described for the court were, in fact, accomplished during the 22 general election um, signature verification process? Yes, we have detailed tracking of those that were subject to curing and those that were cured and the methodology they were cured by. Thank you. Did you offer 30 or were you? May I approach your honor? You may. Your honor, at this time, I move that exhibit 30 be moved into evidence. No objection, your honor. 30 is admitted. Mr. Valenzuela, I just placed another document in front of you. Um, do you see the number on the green tag? I do. What does it say? Exhibit number 31. And do you recognize this document? I do. What is it? It is a sample of the letter that we would have sent to, if not the majority, almost all voters who is our first line of uh, contact for somebody who has a question signature. So this is indicating the options 
that they have to reach back to us to cure their packet. So just so I'm clear on the predicate for your team's use of this document, this is for ballot packages that still have questions after the level one signature review process? It's for actually the level two and level three. So the level one is to accept them, send them to level two, and for that level two manager to concur that indeed it is inconsistent, then that would be classified as a preliminary or as a question signature, which would trigger that particular packet to go down this path of being having a letter sent to uh, the as a first option, all voters are sent that letter because we have vetted that address and then gives them the options of how they can contact us back. Ray, you're coming at me with a lot of information there, and I greatly appreciate that, and I'm sure the court has no problem following that. <clears throat> I, however, moving a little bit more slowly. So that is, in fact, after the level one review. After right? the level one. And after the level two? After the level two. And after the level three. Correct. And do you have personal knowledge of these letters being sent out in the 2022 general election signature verification process? I do. Your Honor, I move Exhibit 31 in for admission as evidence. Yes, Your Honor. 31 is admitted. So, Valenzuela, I've had you an additional document. Do you recognize it? I do. What's the number on the green tab there? Exhibit number 32. What is that document? This is a, another letter that is utilized specifically for no signature packets. So that letter's different than the letter that's in Exhibit 31, or 30. Is that right? That is correct. So this one's only used for voters that forgot to sign the affidavit envelope? It is because it has, again, as mentioned previously, a deadline that is different than the questionable SIG. You only have, as Arizona law requires or prescribes for, till no, the election day, 7 p.m. So it does indicate and doesn't mislead a voter for no signature and gives them multiple options more than because you cannot cure a no signature through a text-to-cure option. You must appear in person or recast in person. So it's your understanding that Arizona law distinguishes between a person who signs the affidavit envelope and a person who forgets to sign the, um, the uh, affidavit envelope. It is in Arizona law and in, as well, in the elections procedures manual. So yesterday you testified that there was a period of time that in, during the signature verification process in 2022 in the general election extended beyond Veterans Day, correct? That's correct. But not true for individuals who don't sign it at all? Correct. That segment of individuals will only have until 7 p.m. on Election Day. Has it been your experience that in elections some voters forget to sign the outside of that affidavit envelope? 
it is, and as indicated in the canvas, that we had uh, upwards of 1,299 that did not return or cure that. So, yes, it, it's, it is normal in the process that individuals forget to sign that. So that number that you just uh, gave, and I'm going to ask you to give it again in a moment, but I want to be clear what it is. That's for individuals in the general election 2022 that did not sign the affidavit envelope at all that were detected during the signature selection process? That would be the final. That's not the, in other words, we identified individuals that did not and they came and cured. So, so you would have some that would have identified as no SIG, then been reprocessed with the signature when the individual cured. That is the final status for those that did not. So, what's, the election. so what is the number that you just offered to the court? 1,299 that remained as uh, no SIG and uncured. So that's after they received the letter? Correct. After the 7 p.m. deadline? Correct. And, yep. and other notifications as well. We don't just rely on the letter for both no SIG and question SIG. Now, in your experience doing level one signature verification, how quickly can you determine that there's no signature at all in the box? Quite frankly, it's probably less than a second to identify there's no broad characteristics that need to be looked at. It's unsigned exception. Do you have personal knowledge of this uh, curing process and the use of this letter for individuals in the general election 2022 curing process that had no signature at all? I do. You personally recall that happening in 2022? Yes, because it is under my purview and in part of the process by which we're monitoring on a daily basis. While you and your team were executing their duties under the law to do signature verification after the general election in 2022? Correct. Your Honor, at this time, I move for the admission of Exhibit 32. No objection, Your Honor. Thank you. All right. 32 is admitted. Mr. Valenzuela, are you familiar with the Maricopa County Elections Plan? I am. What is the Maricopa County Election Plan? It is a forward process planning of the election ahead of the election to identify all of the resources that we would be allocating, all of the different uh, items that would be, for lack of a better word, planned for. And is that plan presented to the Board of Supervisors for it approval? Is. It is. And do you have um, personal re recollection of that plan being put together? I facilitated, assisted, crafted, and presented that plan. And do you recall it being presented to the Board of Supervisors? In conjunction with or with my co-director, yes. And was that presentation done in an open meeting, noticed to the people of Maricopa County? It was. And did the Board of Supervisors vote on it? They did. And did that plan contain um, the number of signature verification 
temporary and permanent employees that would be used? It identified our, our goal of uh, number of signature verification employees to be hired under the temporary capacity. Do you recall what the goal was that was published in that plan? I don't know specifically, but it was in, I mean, obviously increase over the primary and in the 20s, 30s to grow that temp staff for that process. And in fact, was the temp staff grown for the process for the general election 2022? It was indeed. And as you sit here today, do you know how many temporary and permanent employees were used in the 2022 general election signature verification? We had 155 user, if you will, assigned to that process. Okay, now I want to know what we're talking about here. When you say user, are you referring to level one signature review verified? Correct. And, and for clarification, actually, it would be 153 human users. There were two system users uh, also identified in there, but 153 individuals that would have been a, a tasked with or could assist with level one review. The 153 employees that did this. Yes. And then you mentioned two additional users. Can you explain for the court what those two additional users are? Yes. So we have a what we call a batch processing and a system processing user, if you will. They are categorized for, for identification. Uh, as an example, and I think it may have been presented by the other witness, that there are 44,799 records that had zero seconds. Uh, that is because those 44,799 individuals were in-person counter voters that came in and showed ID. So we don't signature verify. We don't go against that grain. We don't say, oh, well, your signature has changed. So even though you proved your identity, which is the purpose of the process, those automatically get moved into and identified as good SIG pass. So the law allows for an individual voter to verify their signature in a manner other than signing the outside of the green envelope. Actually, the law mandates that for in-person early voting, and it's a recent change, a couple of years, that they must show proof of identity by show similar to as if you were voting on election day. However, they still use the affidavit envelope because they are voting early. So they use the affidavit envelope that has the box for the signature, but they've already proven their identity as lawful voters in the process, correct? That's correct. And those then are zero-second approvals because they're not required. They have already proven identity. So even though they've already proven their identity, their green affidavit envelope still goes down to, for level one review? No, those those are actually admitted as good signature through a system process. Identified at check-in that they are in person early. And that when they're identified, how does the system at Maricopa County signature verification record the time it took to verify that person's identity? It would be a batch process that would that would from that check-in through that in-person site book, e-poll book, if you will then that will identify that they have also captured that they provided proof of identity. That then data file will go up as if and entered into the, as a good SIG through the system. Can I mention that there were two users that were not among the 153? You just described one. What's the other one? 
Uh, the other is our internal, what we call our internal good signature process. And that's reserved for, for the most part, our military and overseas voters. What is a military and overseas voter? Under UOCAVA Uniform Advocacy Citizen Voting Act, it prescribes that those particular voters nationally, not just in Arizona, are allowed to and provided for special exceptions, meaning they can be sent their ballot by mail, by email, or by fax. They can be returned by email, by fax, or electronically through a secure upload. Hence, they are not a regular mail packet, if you will, returned to us. They could be an electronic version of, a, of their voted ballot and their signed affidavit. So how would the um, electronic recording process that monitors the time record those UOCAVA uh, ballot voter identifiers? Because those particular packets are not sent. They're not received in a mail packet. Example, you fax that to us. Those don't go through that normal mail pickup path. They then are, quite frankly, done how it was done, probably in 14 other counties that don't have our system. They are that affidavit faxed in is then, and I think it was alluded to by one of the other witnesses, what we call VMOA, but basically it's a manual way to receive your affidavit, your repository, to verify that. That staff member, that would then be checked up as verified. Card in front of the horse using our technology, but again, 14 other counties, probably that's the only way they can is use that manual. Then we go in and scan in that piece ID to assign it as a good SIG once it's been validated and as consistent. So when it's scanned in, that UOCAVA ballot, how much time does it take in the computer to verify the identity? So it's manually scanned in by that staff and via barcode reader, so it's literally zero seconds. Zero seconds. And just to be clear, a UOCAVA voter could be our Women and men in uniform serving in the United States uh, military service overseas? That is correct, and that's the bulk of could be Could be diplomatic personnel? Correct. Could be expatriates that are living somewhere outside the continental United States, Hawaii, Alaska? Correct. 3,800 of those were returned. 3,800. Correct. Thank or you. the 2022 general. <laughs> Your Honor, may I approach? You may, yes. Mr. Valenzuela, I've just placed a document in front of you. Could you read the number on the green tag? Exhibit number 37. Could you look at the document? Do you recognize it? I am very familiar with the document, yes. And what is it? It is our 2022 uh, August and November elections plan, primary and general. That's the election plan that you just testified was presented to the Board of Supervisors, correct? That is correct. And do you have personal knowledge of Maricopa County Recorder and his team using this 2022 election plan in order to do signature verification, to guide them in signature verification and during the 22 general election? 
it sets out the plan of what our resources, how we would allocate them for all functions, but to include early voting and, in that case, signature verification. And you recall that actually occurring in 2022? Yes. Thank you. Your Honor, I move Exhibit 37 for admission as evidence. Objection, Your Honor. 37 is admitted. Mr. Valenzuela, you've been in the courtroom for the past two days, correct? Correct. And you've followed along in the proceedings? I have. Do you remember Contestor Lake's team putting a brief video up on the screen? I do. And the what I'm referring to is a video from a camera in Maricopa County, McTech, which showed two workers in cubicles in front of computers. You recall that? I do. I believe that was Exhibit 19. And you were able to watch that video? I was. And when you were under direct examination by Contester Lake's legal team over here, they asked you some questions about that video. Do you remember that? I do. Do you remember being asked questions about the individual sitting on the left? Yes, I do. Were you able to see what that individual was doing? I can I could see, but I, and infer based on process and procedure what I believe he was doing. Okay. So you saw it on the video. I did. And then you used your personal knowledge and experience from being a part of the twenty-two signature verification process during the general election to infer certain things. That's correct. But you don't know with 100% metaphysical certitude exactly what that individual was doing as depicted in that short video, correct? I do not, but to add clarity, it could also be that it was a batch of verified and approved that would but take... On the basis of speculation, Your Honor, I just told them you're going to speculate. Okay. I, I think that's the point of the question. He, that's what he's asking him is he wasn't able to tell. Okay, I, he, he testified. Well, no, he asked him the question, basically. You couldn't tell for sure what was happening. Well, he said, yes, Your Honor, he can infer. Right. So no. I'm objecting that asking this witness to speculate. Do you have any firsthand knowledge? Was he there watching it? He can see it on video. Well, you already knows the process, Your Honor, then he... He full well understands the way it works and wouldn't be required to speculate. No, I, I understand what you're saying. But just as the questions were asked of him yesterday, he can be asked the same types of questions today. This is based on what he observed and his understanding of what's going on. The other witness that have testified about that same exhibit have done likewise. Understood, Your Honor. My recollection. So I'll allow it. We ask her whatever... New question, same question, whatever you have for next for the witness. 
You're right. I think the witness answered the question, so if that's sufficient for the court, then I'll move to the next question. It's not me. It's it. I, I remember the answer that he said he applied what he knows right. and viewed what was on the exhibit. And so his understanding was based on his experience, he he has an opinion, but he can't tell with 100% certitude what was happening. Since the... Um, so if you need more than that, you ask other questions. That's my recollection of what it was said. Go ahead. Thank you, Your Honor. So you drew upon your personal knowledge from your own participation in the 2022 general election signature verification process in an attempt to infer what the individual on the left was doing, correct? That is correct. And what do you think he was doing? I believe he was following the process that trained to or prescribed, which would be before submitting your completed 250 batch to re-review them, using the term go backwards, and look at those. And there is no prescribed for or mandated that you, in the re-review, that you re-review all the signatures again, as an example. You're just seeing the dispositions you set and reaffirming that, as an example, I set this as a, an exception. Did I, is that correct? Or there really is, you know, our census has a good sig and there's really no signature there. So they're required to go back, rinse and repeat, if you will, and re-review. Okay, so a level one signature reviewer is given a batch of 250, correct? Correct. They review those one at a time, correct? Correct. You take however much time they need to take to do it. Yes. You previously testified... And some of them are really fast, correct? To review them, there is potential for them to be reviewed quickly. Others take more time. Yeah. There? Yes. And then once a level one reviewer done this, has completed the 250, the protocol is for them to go back and review and make sure that those codes they assigned are correct. Correct. And in your personal experience, is that a pretty quick process? It is because, once again, you're not, and they're not requested to re-review, go through all three exemplars as an example for something that's been exception or set to be submitted as such, is to re-review uh, just as a cursor check before committing that batch. So you don't know what that individual on the left was doing in depicting that short video, correct? As testified, I do not, but I just can infer based on the process. And your best inference is what you just told the court, correct? That is correct. Now, you also testified that that individual, to the best of your knowledge, was reassigned to do additional tasks. Recall so testify? Yeah. And I... I believe you testified that at the time you didn't know why he was reassigned or where he was reassigned. Is that correct? That is correct. Subsequent to that testimony, have you taken any efforts to learn more about why that individual was reassigned? I have. I object, Your Honor. They're now introducing new testimony. They could have provided us with some form of employment history or reviews that would show why this gentleman was reassigned. When he was reassigned, 
and what user he was, Your Honor. I believe this to be user 134. If they would confirm that, we could have a more detailed discussion about this entire issue, Your Honor. Understood. Problem that I have in this particular case is it's an election challenge. The information initially presented came through a public records request and not through any types of formal discovery. The entire batch of information that was submitted with regard to the, the keystrokes, the documentation, the exhibits, that showed up virtually on the doorstep of trial. And I've allowed it because I believe that it's important to have as much transparency and openness as possible. So late disclosure is kind of something that goes both ways with regard to this. Um, I, if, I haven't heard anything more than um, the question that's been asked. Thank you, Your Honor. If I might make a quick offer of proof. Please. Yeah. Uh, Your Honor, user number 134, we can show, began work at Maricopa County Elections Department on October 17th. Mm -hmm. We can show that user number 134, the gentleman in question, uh, continued working at Maricopa County Elections Department until November 11 as 11-1 reviewer when such review was stopped, according to our witnesses' testimony, and most of the level one reviewers were let go. We can show this gentleman continuing to work in Maricopa County Elections Department in a different capacity, not related to some, I just want to testify and say something, but because they had a different role to fill. They were done with level one, Your Honor, and we would like to be able to confirm that. Your Honor? Well, wait. Um, let me ask, just to clarify in your offer of proof, um, your offer of proof, you stated that the individual in question was employed up through November 11th, but you said in the capacity of signature verification as opposed to being reassigned. That is correct, Your Honor. I, you know, And I would ask leave to... Uh, to present at least some photographic evidence of this gentleman showing these various states. Well, I, I anticipate then that we'll have cross-examination on that very topic. Thank you, Your Honor. That, that's fine. So you can present what you want to, uh, Mr. Lady, and then we'll have cross. Thank you, Your Honor. I was um, I was looking forward to cross, and okay, as opposed to an offer of proof, which the way we usually proceed. But we'll go ahead. Um, May I indulge the court reporter to reread the question? You may. <clears throat> so you have. And would you share the court what you learned? about why that individual was assigned additional duties or different tasks? As indicated, you know, part of this, and last night I went to get clarity because I do not follow all 153 employees that are doing what their assignments that, as example and testimony, Mr. Myers and Mr. Mrs. Onaget got reassigned as needed. We have an as need to go to curing, to go to adjudication. So I wanted to get clarity because mostly I feel our temp workers, including our witnesses, did, an, a, did a due diligence. They did their job, and I felt miss, this individual was being maligned, and I wanted to make sure what it was as I testified. I don't know. I don't know I inferred, but I did get information specific to 
where he was reassigned and what he was tasked. Thank you, Ray, and I appreciate that, and now we all know why you did it. But what I'm asking you is what did you learn as to why this individual, the one in Exhibit 19 on the left, was assigned additional tasks when it appears that he was doing what you thought he was doing? Why so, is that? What did you learn? So for clarity and finding out through our different management level that he was reassigned just like Mr. Myers. I'll use him as a perfect example that he was predominantly assigned, Mr. Myers as an example, to curing, but could and did a few signature verifications. This particular individual was assigned to different tasks, SEVs, to curing, to all that, but he did not prevent him from assisting in an all-hands-on-deck capacity because he was not necessarily moved out of that position for some sort of error or some sort of uh, inconsistent uh, work product. It was just more to the extent that he we shift people as we do, and he was predominantly moved into different tasks rather than signature verification. So it's your testimony that while he was being supervised during the 2022 general election signature verification process, no supervisor found fault in what he was doing at level one um, signature verification? From my information, I gathered none that were, they had recollection of that specifically, that it was just reassignment and two into different tasks as needed. So he was reassigned because he was needed elsewhere. As is part of our planning and part of our structure, we shift daily depending on the volume load in a given task. So if there's a surge of curing that needs to be done, we call all hands on deck? That is correct. Whatever the task may be based on the deadlines that are set that we need to meet. So the fact that this individual was given additional tasks in no way should be interpreted that he had done anything incorrectly during level one signature verification review during the general election in 2022? That is correct. And include the backwards review that is inferred he is performing, that he, that he is being, I guess, apparently maligned to saying that is signature verification when, in fact, it more than likely is just a second review process. So your testimony is that he was doing, after that, he was doing, after the assignment of additional work, he was doing primarily curing. Well, primarily curing, SCB. I do know that he also assists with SCB process, which is a, a special election board to go out and assist voters in nursing homes and such. So he was placed as a, helping wherever and whenever needed. But he was perfectly qualified to continue doing level one review. Correct. And in fact, could have done additional level one review if he wasn't needed in SEB or curing, correct? Correct. And as, as I testified, it wasn't exactly, but I know he was reassigned, and that reassignment terminology, never did I indicate that he was terminated. He was reassigned to different tasks, just as many others, including, again, Mr. Myers, Mrs. Monaghan, whatever that task was that was heated at that moment that needed to be and, in fact, that's consistent with your earlier testimony when you said he was reassigned, but you did not know why. Correct. But now you do know why. Correct. Because you inquired. Correct. Because you didn't want a worker to be maligned. I don't want any of our workers. I really, truly believe all of them followed their oath as testified by the two witnesses. They were did their due diligence. They did their work to the best of their ability as prescribed for in the oath. 
and I did not want him to be continued to be maligned when I didn't know the facts and I by just saying I don't know. Mr. Valenzuela, do you have any reason to believe that level one, level two, and level three processes were not followed in the 2022 general election signature verification and curing process? Conversely, I have proof that it has to be because we could not get the product to tabulation. It's a systematic process that has to occur for that to move it to that level. Do you have any reason to believe that any ballot affidavit envelopes were not reviewed at a minimum by a level one reviewer in Maricopa County Recorder's Office during the 2022 general election? Outside of the two batch process users, if you will, that did, did not require then a review other than a poll worker, no, every single one would have been gone, undergone a level one and or level two, it pushed through to as exceptions. And those two exceptions are UACAVA and in-person voting? That wouldn't undergo our, our signature verification application and would be a manual process, the 3,800. And then, of course, again, the 44,799 in-person earlier. And that's all in accordance with the 2022 general election plan? Correct. And in accordance with... Arizona law. Correct. Mr. Valenzuela, when's the statutory deadline for the curing process in the 2022 general election? There, as indicated, there's two deadlines for no signature. It's It was November 8th, 7 p.m. for question signatures. It was November, Wednesday, November 16th, which would traditionally be November 15th, Tuesday, but because of the holiday was added an extended day by 5 p.m. So November 16th, 5 p.m. for question signature. So is that where the curing process ended in 2022? That is correct. Mr. Valenzuela, while you've been in the courtroom hearing the presentation of the Contestor Lakes case in chief, did you hear about an alleged 70,000 ballot packets <laughs> that were not signature verified? I did. Do you have any reason to believe that there were 70,000 Ballot packets that were not signature verified in 2022? With the testimony I've given, I believe that there are, that is accounted for by the numbers I've already given, the 44,799 that were not signature verified because they were proof of identity early voting packet. Right, let's walk through that again. 44,000 and what? 799. That were not signature verified because why? because they were already, identity was proven as required by law through proof of ID, because they voted in person. In accordance with your testimony just a few minutes ago. Correct. And then there is, in addition to that, when we're speaking and I hear that under two-second 70,000 number, I do also infer 
because I didn't do the extrapolation myself, but that they had also has to account for the 15,411 signatures that work here that were verified and approved. And as presented yesterday in our guides, when that stamp is verified and approved is presented to in front of the level one user, they are to accept that as good and move on. Meaning they have the due diligence of them setting as an exception in the first place was taken, concurred, voter was contacted, voter cured, authenticated, we stamp it. That is as good as a good SIG as you can get. Then they were in that review process, 15,411. On top of that, 44,799 would be less than a second and should be there because there is no review, broad characteristics, re-review, if you will, that is accepted and moved into that queue. So those could be in that under two second. Well, Mr. Valenswell, if you're correct, there is somebody out there alleging to the world that there were 70,000 with no signature review or signature review in a second or less or whatever. You just accounted for all but about 20,000, right? In addition, you must add the 3,800 military and overseas that are scanned in on a outside of their signature reviewed and then scanned in as good SIG. That would scan would take milliseconds, zero second. And you've already testified about that? I just read just today, yes. So now we're down to 16,000, couple hundred? Well, I think the mass may be more if you do the 44,000 plus the 15,000, that's 63 then. So that if we're talking about 70, I think we're in the three, 4,000 range. 44,700 and the 15,411. So that's 63 any, plus the 366. Sorry to interrupt. Anything uh, else you think you can account for for um, ballots that were properly handled and the general election 2022 that somebody may accuse you or recorder richer or your outstanding team of full-time workers and temporary workers, some of whom were in the same chair even right now, accounted for any others? At the moment, no, but I can say with absolute certainty, I can have, I can, if I could get those 70,000, I can give you specifically because they're tied to a voter exactly what their status was. They were a counter ballot that they were a military and overseas ballot. So even the remaining that we're saying, well, what justify those, then that could be, very well be, a Reynaldo Valenzuela with a big flourish R that had a Reynaldo Valenzuela exemplar, and it took the, in the individual level one voter to say that is a consistent signature without doubt, even looking at the first exemplar and counting 1,001, 1,002, good. So there are, there is that potential that there are those exact match, but the majority, the bulk, are those in-person voters, 44,799, the cured that have a stamp, 15,411, uh, uh, and the military and overseas. And you just mentioned a counter ballot. Would you explain to the court what a counter ballot is? We actually treat those particular affidavits, although they, again, use an affidavit envelope. It is the individual came in person to the counter, if okay. you will. So a counter ballot is a ballot from a voter who came into the counter in order to vote. In this case, it's an, an holdover from when we had early voting, absentee voting since 1990, no excuse, where they would come into our office and counter. Now you can go vote at a vote center so that we just left it as a counter ballot, but it's in person early. 
in person early. And they have to give their ID right there on the spot, right? As required by statute, yes. So how many seconds does it take for a level one reviewer to do that? Well, they're not doing it at all because, again, they've already – the idea of looking at signatures is to prove identity. They right. have proven identity as required by law. Those individuals are not second-guessed to say, but the signature didn't match. Those are – we're not allowed to, and the EPM actually prescribes that you are not allowed to override that proof of identity, so those are established as good signatures. Well, I'm not great at math, Ray, but when you said not at all – is that another way that maybe mathematically might be described as zero? Correct. They would be zero second because they are a batch process. And I think one of the witnesses, the analyst, was indicating that he identified that that had to be, and it's, it's a correct statement, that it has to be because it's, and I absolutely concur that it's impossible for a human to do zero second, but it is not possible to upload and import those proven proof of identity records in zero seconds. We've also heard in this courtroom today that signature verification is the, quote, first line of defense to ensure that a ballot that comes in as tabulated is, in fact, um, a legal voter. Does the Maricopa County Recorder's Office or Maricopa County writ large take any steps prior to signature verification in order to ensure that the ballots cast in the 22 general election are by legal voters? So as indicating that it is the first-line defense, that is an incorrect statement. The fact of the matter is, in order to get an early ballot, you must be a registered voter. So we work our way back into the process of how do you become a registered voter, and quite without over-elaborating, you basically have to bet, be vetted, your information set up to vital statistics, MVD, Social Security, all to say you are who you are. So unlike voting in person on Election Day, that's what provisionals are. You could have not registered. You cannot have a not registered in early voting. You must have met that criteria. In addition to that, you must have, we also bet your address. And during registration, I send you a voter ID card. It may appear to be altruistic of the department to let you know you're being, you're made the books. But in fact, it also serves another purpose, is to test your address. So you are a person, but do you reside at that address? Utilizing the United States Postal Service and their endorsement return service requested, we contract to say if that individual, through their database, National Change of Address database, if that individual is not at that address, then that individual does not make it to the books. So you can't just go to Walmart and buy a green affidavit envelope and a ballot, right? You got to get one sent to you by Maricopa County? It has to be issued by us to a registered voter with a unique piece ID barcode that is assigned to that voter so that we can track it and to that election more specifically. So it is a, a case that we, there is due diligence done on the front end before we send that. So it's not the first line. The first line is before I mail you that packet, are you registered voter? Are you eligible? And is that your address? So there's three lines you just mentioned right there before signature verification. Correct. So if you use it in, in a, a, let's say, a forensic document examiner analysis, I've done some due diligence, I've laid the foundation, and this is part of that that is considered when you're looking at signature verification that we've gone as far as even Your tracking it. testimony is based on some knowledge about a forensic document and the analyst, and he's not a forensic document analyst. Oh, okay. 
And and it involves the ballot envelopes being mailed to the voters and mailed back. Okay. With regard to the statements related to forensic documentation or his knowledge of that, I don't believe he's qualified to talk about forensic documentation as an expert witness. But if you want to rephrase the question as far as... Your Honor, I am asked him to testify to his personal knowledge. Understood, understood. But he threw in the phrase of it's one of the considerations for forensic documentation. That's what mis that's what the uh, uh, objection goes to. And it can be phrased differently, but using that phrase as a technical term of art is the objection. May I clarify? Your Honor, I would say that he's not using it as a technical phrase. He's using it in, in the normal vernacular for someone of his 32 years of experience who has been trained in part by forensic. Understood. My job is just to make sure that the record's protected in, okay. in terms of, it, it may seem like a technicality to you, but it's been pointed out. He's using a term that's been used in this courtroom as a term of art. Mm -hmm. And so... I would sustain the objection if you want to rephrase the question. So, or ask the same question if he wants to rephrase the answer without any reference to forensics. That's fine. I mean, statement that would indicate that it, he's qualified to render an opinion as to forensic documentation. His experience as far as factors on signature confirmation is a different matter. I'm focused on the art term of art. I understand, Your Honor, but I want to make sure I understand your ruling. You said that the term forensic has been used in this proceeding, and there has not been a certain, a single person on that stand who's been qualified under, as a forensic expert. So others can use it? No. no others can use it in the vernacular? I don't want to have debate. Okay. Okay, I, I, I'm, he used a term of art that's referred to, it's, it's not just a term of art, it's a scientific label for a, a position, and we and went to great lengths talking about qualifications for other witnesses. He may have just misspoke in terms of throwing that part in, but he's not qualified to state an opinion as a forensic document examiner. He can give opinions related to his education, training, experience. Sustained. I understand, Your Honor. Thank you. Um, may I indulge the recorder to read back the question? Yes. What if the last question was I asked? So there's three lines right there you mentioned before signature verification that helps protect the public from illegal votes, correct? So indeed, there is a foundation set that identifies these particular voters as registered voters. And my apologies, Your Honor, that what I was inferring was that what I heard in testimony yesterday from the forensic document analyst was that we lay foundation to saying, when I look at these signatures, what do I have? And that, so that is part of our foundational effort before we look at that signature to say there is precedent set that this is a voter that was mailed to, registered, verified, and even more 
that they we did the return service requested and we tracked, which a lot of voters and a lot of the public may not know, all packets sent to a voter tracked to your mailbox. So we tracked it. So that adds that credence, that that foundation that when that packet comes back, we at least have that evidence that it is reached a vetted, verified voter to their ver- vetted, verified address. And you just referred to earlier testimony by a forensic expert. Are you referring to the gentleman in the back who got his training between 1989 and 1993 from his dad? I'm referring to his analysis of the fact that there is foundation that they use when he does uh, his particular reviews, if you will, that he has just certain things that he lays as foundation upon that or ahead of that review or during that review. Okay. Ray, you testified that you did some level one signature reviewing in 2022 after the general election. Is that correct? That is correct. How many ballot packets did you review? I I don't know the exact number. I just know that a quick glance when we were looking at the data or providing the data, it was approximately 1,600. And again, I, I apologize to my staff that did 66 and m- more, 1,000. Do you have any more? Uh, do you have any idea of how many uh, good SIGs you verified? I know that I approximately 1,300 because I had 311 uh, later reference that I exceptioned. So exceptions, which mean not good SIG and move on to level two. Correct. 300 out of 1,600-ish sounds pretty high to me. Does it seem high to you? Uh, I th- no, it bases on that day's batch and it, and the the clarity of and the of the signatures within that 250 batch, if you will. You also testified that you did level two signature verification after the general election in 2022. Is that correct? That is correct. Tell us about that. How many did you do and how, how many shifts? What did you do? The level two, I, uh, I don't know exactly how many because I didn't part as preparation look to have to provide that. But I can infer that I did towards the end, the all hands on deck, was I was one of those hands, and that I could probably have, say that it, with comfort, uh, at least a 1,000. And you remember doing that in November 2022? Absolutely, as because of the nature of uh, us wanting to get those cured as soon as possible because or get those dispositioned because of the short time frame we have for those voters to not be disenfranchised that fall into the question signature category. And, Ray, you um, also are qualified and have been trained to do level three in the signature verification process. Did you do that after the general election in 2022? I did. Tell the court about that. So the level three is basically, again, a 2% random audit, and for the benefit and edification of the court, the 2% is derived from what the state has a vote verification committee established made up of seven members, statisticians, uh, two different statisticians, and those individuals determine the hand count, variance or percentage, and say what is a good sampling that will identify deficiencies. We, there is nothing in law that actually requires that level three audit, but as a best practice, we determine and decide that we should do that review and what percentage using that, that group that identified statisticians 
that said this is a good percentage, we used that percentage. And hence, I participated as other managers in a level three audit review of 2% of all signatures, not just good, it's good, bad, and otherwise. And you have a specific recollection of doing that during the signature verification process in Maricopa County after the general election in 22. That is correct. So you mentioned three lines of defense before level one signature verification. Then this level one signature verification, which you've done personally in 2022, and level two, and level three. That is correct. Is there a level four? Is there additional activity on the part of the recorder's signature verification team to ensure this process is done properly? There is a level four. Please uh, level four is, and I'm identifying as level four. It's not. It's just to the sequential numbering. I don't want to talk over each other. I want to ask you to subscribe for the court, level four. So level four is a daily audit review, not just a 2% random, but is a daily audit review done by managers specific of the user in themselves. So I can go look at Valenzuela R. I can see that Valenzuela R only did 1,600. Why is he slacking? But for but truth be told, I can see the dispositions he set for that particular day. And that is just a best practice that was put in place, actually a continued improvement for 2022 where that, but it's not logged. It's just a matter of seeing those report or that system generated review that I can see that user 0001, how many they did today and what were all the dispositions that they set. Mr. Valenzuela, I want to personally thank you for your diligent work during the 2022 general election. I have no further questions, Your Honor. I pass the witness. Very well. Okay, cross-exam. Good morning, Ray. May I mm -hmm. call you, Ray? Yes. All right. Very quickly. I'll, I'll try not to take too much of this honorable court's time today. I've heard a lot of talk today about process. Correct. A lot of your testimony has been aimed at process. Been aimed at our training and guides. Your training guides and your process. Is that correct? The well, more specifically, the guides that are used and given to our level one, level two, and our training. All right. You must show more than just going through the motions, though, shouldn't you? I apologize. I'm not understanding the question. Showing. To rephrase or re-ask. Does the law just require? Does the law just allow you to go through the motions? I don't want to infer what you mean by going through the motions. Okay, thank you. I want to talk a little bit about whom I refer to as user one thirty four, and that's for very specific reasons, and that would be because. After this video was identified, a particular individual from the news media. Okay. Just a question. That's not. Do you have any personal knowledge or any knowledge whatsoever of this data being given to?
to Mr. Archer of ABC News, the data guru. Objection, Your Honor, form. Foundation. Well, relevance. I don't know what he's talking about. Relevance. I, I don't want this to go off into a... Understood, Your Honor. I understand it's cross. I understand we're not the feds. And you're allowed to inquire into matters that are relevant to the proceeding. But I don't think it's relevant. It's relevant, Your Honor, because... Well, the witness here now... Wait, wait. What I'd like to do is have a bench conference on this rather than just have everybody uh, make speeches. So why don't all the, the lawyers that are involved come up?
All right, are we back hooked up electronically? Everybody, Luz, can you hear? Very well. I think we're back ready for you to proceed. We are. Ray, you testified about some of the data in that uh, chart that was admitted as Exhibit 18. Do you recall that testimony? Objection, Your Honor. Um, exhibit was not admitted. Exhibit 18. Okay. Let me look. I don't have it as exhibit admitted, so you're going to have to ask it differently. I apologize, Your Honor. But general rule, let's wait till the question's out of his mouth, and then Mr. Valenzuela, as you can tell, if you see somebody stand up, it's a good clue that somebody's got a problem with what's going on. So don't answer the question until I have a chance to rule on an objection. Fair enough? Understood. And my confusion, Your Honor, it's Exhibit 47, because Exhibit was missing the every other page. Uh, you gave testimony about the 70,000 number and contained within Exhibit 7, Exhibit 47. Do you recall that? I, not specific to that exhibit. I To the number that was quoted okay. that there were 70,000. Where did you get that information? In court mentioned yesterday by Mr. Olson. No, the information contained within your testimony regarding that 70,000 figure, and I presume you were testifying about what shouldn't be included in that 70,000 figure. Is that correct? Correct. I believe you're asking, or I'm sorry, re-ask the question. Where did I get? Where, where did you get the data you relied on in your testimony regarding the 70,000 that was presented with Exhibit 47? Part of it is through known process and understanding what those could be and from the database itself that we generated for public records requests. Okay. So you actually looked at that data last night? No, I did that preemptively before court, even day one. Okay. When I test, when you testified, you testified that you hadn't looked at that data, that you are not a data analyst. Is that correct? No, I testified that I had not looked at your data that you were inferring on CD that I, that I, but I am familiar with and I actually, as I indicated, submitted the ticket for. Okay. Did you look at different data than is contained within, on that CD? Once again, I did not, I don't know what's on the CD I can infer. But I looked at the data as we provided it and in the folder that we would have provided it as far as for that particular public records request. You, you testified you're not a data analyst, correct? No, I'm not. Okay. What did you do to generate these numbers? I opened them in a pivot table. I looked at the, the data is raw data, and it doesn't require that I'm analyzing, making I am just basically as even the the analyst had indicated filtering to that particular batch process user to see what total those. Why don't you walk me through how you did that? It's a matter of taking the particular data, breaking it into manageable bytes, and then filtering and wizard to that particular user. If I were to give you a computer right now, would you be able to show me how you did that? 
I could. Okay. Yes. Who assisted you in looking at this data, Mr. Valenzuela? No one assisted me in looking in that data. You did it by yourself before trial? Yes, sir. And that is what part of my job is, not just that specific thing, is to do data analysis, although I'm not certified or trained in it, but in the 30 years up is to inspect data and to extrapolate statistical findings from that particular data. What's the standard deviation? The standard deviation would be a, a plus or minus as far as if kind of removing that from a... Okay, Mr. Valenzuela, you know... As I indicated, I'm, I'm just doing number extrapolation and filtering down to a specific user. I can get that total. You may. Testimony yesterday about averages. Do you recall that? I, I don't recall giving about averages. I don't know that. A lot of your testimony yesterday on uh, direct uh, was about uh, talk of baseball players and bringing averages down. Do you recall that? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, can you point the averages out on that chart? Again, I apologize, I'm not familiar with this chart. So uh, the averages, as far as percentages? I'm asking you to point the averages out on that chart. Yes, Your Honor. Which columns contain averages? Hold on a second. What's it? Yes, Your Honor, Form and Foundation, the witness just testified he's not familiar with the exhibit. Okay. Well, he can be asked to read the exhibit. I'm, a lot, I'm giving him time to review, Your Honor. I'm sitting here quietly, which is abnormal for me. I'm taking one question at a time, Mr. Bunn. You asked him to read the exhibit to determine whether there were averages displayed on the exhibit. Am I correct, sir? Well, I've asked him to look at the exhibit and to tell me which columns contain averages. If he's able to do so. If so I will overrule the objection to the extent that if you're able to answer the question, you can do so without speculating or guessing. The percentages is where I infer, and unfortunately I think that is still speculation, that the percentages based on verification rate overall and the verification rate by seconds. Okay, so those are averages? I assume so. I don't have the data, the raw data, how it was extrapolated in front of me, but I presume so, yes. Okay. Do you know the difference, Ray, between an average and a percentage? As a, I do not. And again, I testified I'm not a data analyst, and I don't understand this sheet, as I actually inferred already in claim. Okay, you don't understand the difference between an average and a percentage, yet you were able to import a CSV file with over a million rows extract data and analyze that data before you came to court here today? That is incorrect. Okay, who helped you? I, I did it myself, but I did not extract data. I did not import. I used the raw data to filter to a pivot table, if you will, that indicates for this particular user, what is the total number of records were done by that user? I believe the words that just came out of your mouth were we. Oh, I apologize. No, I. 
You. Yes. Okay. What is raw data? Raw data would be the raw data set that is being provided for a particular ask. Okay. What do you call that kind of data? My, me personally, for my use, raw data. Raw data. What kind of file is it saved in? It can be saved in multiple files. You can be saved it as a text file. A CSV is just another format, a comma-separated value document. It can be a text file. It can be in a smaller capacity if it's under a million-plus records. It could be an Excel file. Okay. See it? So multiple and so, formats. And so you don't recall testifying when you were on direct examination that you had not looked at the data you had produced to us. I don't recall that. I apologize if I did. I, what I indicated is that I did not look at this data that was used to extrapolate this particular exhibit. All right. Just consistently. And again, you can't tell us the difference between an average and a percent. No, I'm not a data analyst. Check to form. I think he understood. Well, he answered the question. I have to understand. Uh, assume that he understood it if he answered the question. So, well, Your Honor, I don't think that's a fair assumption because he may think he knows what he meant, but doesn't, and so he answered a different question. For example, Your Honor, no, 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 no. I don't need a speech. Hold on, hold on, hold on. An average could be a percentage. Or but now he's hey, telling wait, Your Honor, Mr. Liddy, Mr. Liddy, I think he's. I have every confidence that Mr. Valenzuela can answer. I don't understand, or I need it clarified. Okay. Answer the question. I withdraw the objection, Your Honor. Thank you. All right. And so, so you don't understand the difference between a percentage and an average, yet you expect this court to believe your testimony about you extracting this and uh, and uh, analyzing the data on your own. Object as to form. Overruled. As indicated, I didn't look to create average. Yes, sir. I asked, oh, I thought you were asking me to clarify. So then. Yes, sir. No question. Then, I think you should let the witness finish answering the question. Hold on a second. On cross-examination, he gets to ask you questions. If he's capable of being answered yes or no, you can answer yes or no. If you're not capable of answering it yes or no as he's requesting, you can say that. Attorneys will have the opportunity to ask you additional questions on redirect. Again, I don't want you to guess or speculate as to what you think is being said. If you do not understand what's being asked of you, yes, to either have it rephrased or tell me that you cannot answer the question as it's phrased. Fair enough, Mr. Valenzuela? Yes, Your Honor. Very well. I ask the counsel not interrupt the witness while the witness is in the middle of an answer. I understand what's what's uh, the exchanges are very fast. So all I ask is that everybody give the same courtesy to each other of not talking over each other. I'll just leave it as far as the witness will wait for the question to be fully answered, asked before giving an answer, even if you think you know where it's going, and counsel will not object until the question is fully asked. And then if there's an answer to the question, let the witness answer, and then you can point out if it's capable of yes or no, then you have to answer yes or no. Fair enough, everyone? Well, it's not open for debate. That's the way I want to run it. So next question. Oh, did he answer that one? I didn't hear it. 
Why don't you, do you want it read back or do you want to ask it again? Can we read it back? Go ahead, Lewis. I think may ask then if you could repeat. Go back before that. Yeah, that's the question. Now we're talking over each other. Sorry, Your Honor. Back, I'm asking that the court reporter read back the question that was initially asked before the exchange about how the answer would be given. Question offering is, you don't understand the difference between percentages. So could you rephrase the question just for my clarity? All right. For your clarity, Ray, you do not know the difference between a percentage and an average, yet you expect this court to believe that you extracted and analyzed this data on your own. Objection as to form. Because it's multifaceted, I take it. But there's a predicate question that came before, so I'll allow the form of the question as he's phrased it, and I've explained to the witness. Your Honor, my objection to form is not based on a multifaceted, although that would be a valid objection. It's based on the predicate that it's either an average or a percentage. Where in the world of mathematics, wait. a percentage can be expressed wait, wait, wait. Your Honor, Mr. Lee, as Mr. Lee. an average. What you're doing is a speaking objection, and I've, I've given that liberal sway in this case up to now. But where you, I have to draw the line is you can't educate the witness by your objection as to how you answer the question. Objection is to form. So I think, Mr. Valenzuela, I can have it read back another time if you'd like to, sir, just to be sure. It's up to you whether you can answer or you want it read back. I believe I can answer is no. You don't expect the court to believe you. No, then the answer is yes. So it was a, the way the question was asked, the answer is yes. All right. Would it uh, surprise you to learn that there are no averages in that data? that our expert testified to yesterday. It would not. Okay. And so all the talk and your testimony yesterday about averages is irrelevant, isn't it? I don't know how that correlates. Okay. Personally. Calls for a legal conclusion, Your Honor? I think he's already answered the question by doesn't know how it correlates. I was not able to hear the answer. I apologize, Your Honor. Yeah, Your Honor, if people could speak into the mic, that would be very helpful. <laughs> right, you move the mic closer? It is tough to hear back here. Remember me. Him. All of you. Oh, yeah. It's a valid point. I've Understood, been, Your Honor. Mr. Blem doesn't have that problem. I have usually been accused of being soft-spoken. I haven't heard anybody accuse Mr. Blem of that. <laughs> that wasn't meant as an affront. That was... Do you recall your testimony 
Ray, when you were on direct examination, I specifically asked you if you receive lists or you batch process. You recall that? I recall. You recall you saying no? That's correct. Okay. And today your testimony was quite different, wasn't it? I don't know how so. Okay, because you testified today that you do batch process based on list. That you batch objection as to form. No, there's no prior testimony of him doing batch lists. Okay. Again, one question at a time. There was prior discussion this morning about batch. I can read back my notes, but specifically um, the word batches was used in describing certain categories. So, again, not batch lists. Mr. Blem, ask your question. Thank you, Your Honor. Where did you get the information, Ray, that you actually do batch process data or ballot affidavit envelope approvals? Same objection, Your Honor. Overruled. So my, when, yesterday when you asked me about batch lists, you said we use lists. We do not use lists. We use a system by which we process and load a batch of affidavits, as an example, and those are processed through. It's not a physical list or a list at all that we are referencing for processing. Okay. So my reference to a batch then just required a no answer that you do not batch process things. We indeed do batch process. Well, I know that, Ray. And you know how I know that? Can you look at user number 29 on that sheet? Exhibit what? Exhibit 47. Thank you. You may. I just want to, he's got the sheet now to confirm I got the right email. I'm sorry, Your Honor, user 26. Oops. Yeah. All right, Mr. Valenzuela, if your testimony... All right, Mr. Valenzuela, if your testimony today was correct, the number of people who voted and showed an ID that you testified to should match the number of approvals by user 26. Is that correct? For the most part, it should, yes. What do you mean for the most part? Does it or not, Ray? It does not, if you understand the process, that you could be a provisional voter, then you would not have gone through this check-in. You would have gone through down the provisional path that then was accepted as a yes. So these are not exact. These are those that would have been good SIG, unencumbered, in-person voter. You testified to 44,799 of those ballots that were not signature verified, correct? They were proof of ID was shown in our in-person voters. And then you batch uploaded them, correct? Yep. Yes. If you're going to use that term, I'm thinking of subgroup of 250 when I use the term batch. Okay. But those are not batch uploaded. Those are, those are uploaded and imported into the signature verification status of GoodSig. Okay. And you testified 
that those ballots do not go to signature verification because they've been done. Is that correct? They don't go through the level one signature review process. They go through the process of being archived, captured for prosperity and as a the ledger of those individuals, but they do not get level one review. All right. And so did you hear Mr. Spicking's testimony yesterday that he did not include user 26 in his analysis? I did hear that. Okay. Would you agree with that? I, that he did that, he would speak to that, and I did agree that he said that. Yeah, you agree, would you not, that it would be proper to remove those if looking at overall percentages approved? Absolutely. It, that would be kind of unfair, wouldn't it? It should not be included when establishing. Yeah. If they were used and you were trying to look at total percentages approved and the rate at which they were approved, that would skew things, wouldn't it? It would make users appear to approve faster? Correct. Okay. And so if that data wasn't used, those ballots could not have skewed the data. Is that correct? If that those ballots were not used, hypothetically correct. And you heard Mr. Spiggins' testimony that he did not use them in his analysis? In this creation of this signature verification, yeah, my understanding. All right. Uh, can you go to user number six? And I'm not sure on this chart if we actually show user number six. But you have more than one account that you use to batch process data. Is that correct? For objections to form? Okay. okay, for this one, I do need you to explain the form because I think it looks straightforward to me. I'm missing something without explaining. In the formulation of the question, counsel used the phrase that you use batch process data. And the witness has already testified that they do not use batch use process data. All right. With that, I'll overrule it. He can answer. It, it, really quickly, Your Honor, if I may. Did I say six or nine? You said six. Ah, oh, just one's upside down of the other. I meant nine. I apologize. And so is user nine another one of your administrative accounts? I don't have information to know what that user nine is at this moment, who that or what that's assigned to. So you just don't have any personal knowledge whatsoever as the manager of the elections department and somebody who analyzed this data set? As for each one of these users, I do not know other than even the one that is indicated the 44799 user 26 indicated I do not know that was our converse. I just have the numbers right. known to which were how many counter voters were processed as good sick. All right. Um, you recall Mr. Specking's testimony yesterday that says he did not include user number nine. Do you, do you recall that? I do recall that. 
And you recall it was because they appeared to be processed by a machine because they have zero seconds of review. Right. And I concur that that would be indicative of that. Okay. So if they weren't included, they don't matter. Is that correct? They're showing on the chart and the percentages are showing. Right. And I just, that was the only chart I had. So I just wanted to see you. But it's, it's cumulative at the column at the end. It actually, right. the end result, if you're looking at the chart, looks to include them because it doesn't show now, minus. Oh, sorry. With respect. Yeah, I'd ask that he not interrupt the witness while he's completing his answer. And, sorry, Your Honor. I apologize that I caught it. And I will try not to let it happen again, Your Honor. Did the court reporter catch the end of the answer? No? Yes. Very well, then. Thank you. I mean, it's dashes. Dashes is not the answer. So, Mr. Valenzuela, could you repeat your answer? If you're able to, if you're not able to, I'll have the question re-asked. As it relates to this chart, you are inquiring if, I, that those were, were not included, and I'm indicating that in review of it, there is a cumulative total verifications at the end that would infer that that full column was subtotaled, and so I, that's where I was inferring that they are included in this particular exhibit. All right, user, user number nine. Okay, you analyzed the data, beginning of trial. Do you know if user nine is an administrative count for rejecting signatures? Objection as to form. This witness testified yep. that he did not analyze it, not that he did analyze it. Again, it's cross-examination. I, I understand the need to be very certain of terms, and the witness has to be careful of that. That's why I think I've admonished repeatedly to be very careful about what you answer and not assume you understand what you're, you believe to be asked to be the case unless you clearly understand the words that are used. So I can't make it any clearer than that. So Thank you, Your Honor. To answer your question, I will re-emphasize I did not analyze any of the data. I actually filtered to the specific user that I knew identified as our counter voters. So when you ask about user 9, I do not know what user 9, who user 9 is. So I don't know. I can't speak with certainty what those are reflective of. All right. Would it surprise you to learn that User number nine was an administrative account used to process as a batch rejections. It wouldn't surprise me that we have that log because we do have to convert at the end of cure question signatures to bad signatures as a final status. And that would be recorded as such as an entry to that disposition. Maricopa County has a contract with Runbeck to analyze ballot affidavit envelopes for the presence or absence of a signature. Is that correct? Correct. There is a process by which we are looking at pixels to see if there is or is not. Okay. 
And is it not true that the result of that search by Runbeck is sent to you so that you automatically know which ballots need to be processed at a level other than level one? That is correct. It is used to disposit to pocket those particular packets that have no signature so that a human level two reviewer can review them for authenticity to validate that there is no signature, there is no pixels in that case. Okay. So is it fair to say, Ray, that user number nine, I'm not sure why I keep confusing nine and six, but users number nine and 26 would all have zeros in terms of upload time. I can concur that the 47, the user 26, 44,799 would match up to being the in-person. Uh, the other, I can't confirm that those are for reject, but they, even if they were, they're done at the level two review, not through any third party as you're conferring. It is all done at level two human being review that would concur that is no signature or identify no signature and set that disposition. Based on your analysis of the data, how many ballot affidavit envelopes were reported to you by Runbeck to not contain a valid signature within the signature box? I don't have that data. That's not part of what I presumed would be under review, so I don't have that. Both. Regardless, the 44,000-plus processed by user 26 and whatever amount user 9 processed would never have gone to level 1 review, correct? A record that has been proven identity would not go undergo the scrutiny of level 1 to say, we need to prove their identity. So you're correct that 44799 already had been validated and would not go through that level one review. Okay. Now, the ones that were rejected for absence of presence of signature would be sent to curing. Is that correct? No, it would go to, le well, if you're talking about still the signature verification process, it would go to level two, okay. which would be 100% reviewed, and then they would be just as if they were set through an exception would be then identified as a preliminary question or a question signature that would then absolutely go through curing, would require that they go through curing. So if none of that data that we just talked about with respect to users 40, sorry, user 26 and 9 was sent to level one review and Mr. Specken did not analyze those in his review that is before you as exhibits 47, those have no way to skew the percentages contained in exhibit 47. Is that correct? I could not concur. I don't, I don't know the data enough to how Mr. Specken calculated. So I wouldn't guess. Well, then I'll ask you to assume. If you assume Mr. Specken, as he testified, did not include that, those numbers in his analysis, they cannot impact the percentages, can they? If he did not include them, then correct, they would not impact the percentage. Okay.
You have another 3,800 approximately that were sent via UACABA, correct? There, that's how many total that were returned to us. Okay. And uh, those do not go for level one review, is that correct? They cannot. Okay. Because they are not in an envelope, as I already indicated. Understood. I just want to make sure that the record is clear with respect to numbers because there was a lot of talk yesterday about baseball and averages. And so if these never went to level one and Mr. Spagan never included them in his analysis, they would not impact the percentages contained in Exhibit 47. Is that correct? That's incorrect. That's incorrect. Yes, because they act, they don't go through level one as you're, you're, what you're inferring. But they do get a disposition of good sig. So when that user logs in to scan in that piece ID, that is attributed to that user as having scanned in and could be a zero second for that user that scanned that in on one of these lines because you can't just scan. It must be under a user name. Okay. Are these done under the user account number 26? No. These are done under staff user names that are assigned that day to review that signature, make that good, and then go into that special handling system that will say we are identifying these as good sig under, as an example, ball and swell R, I scan three in, then there would be potentially under ball and swell R, those scans, it could be zero second. Okay, and they would show as a level one acceptance? No, they would just, because there is not an exception. Level one is specifically driven towards exception. It would show as a good signature. And so it says either, and I, I apologize, but I'm sure you'll understand my terminology. If I don't use your specific terminology, please refresh my recollection. But level one reviewers can either accept or exception. Correct. Do exception or good. Okay. So now is, is what you're testifying to right now that a level one reviewer might get one of these 3,800 UACAVAs, see that it's approved, and hit accept? No, they would not. They would not get it? Not a level one reviewer, no. All right. So if my question to you is this, if Mr. Specken filtered out for only those level one reviews, would you strike that? Let me rephrase the question. If Mr. Spicking testified or filtered out those ballots and anything that was not done by lever user level one, they would not impact his analysis as contained in Exhibit 37. Is that correct? That is incorrect. Why is that incorrect? If Exhibit 47, Ray, is based on user level one inputs, and they only have one of two inputs, how would their inputs be impacted by this UACABA data? Because there is no level one identifier in the raw data. I am absolutely certain of that. So a user could have set a good SIG at level one, is correct, we can also be set at level two. So to be set at level two. So to indicate that they, we extrapolated the level one good SIGs or only focus on that, that it's impossible. 
this would be inclusive of all good SIGs because there is no level identifier. I can also set a good SIG at level three in the audit review. So, again, Who it's, told you, Ray, there's no one level one identifier? I know that because I am part of that public records request. And then we know our system. There is There is dispositions that can be captured, but it is not tracked by the level. Okay. So you testified yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that uh, that uh, you had never used this data before, never seen it before, that, that Maricopa County Elections Department does not review employees based on this data, and you've never used it. And I think that's pretty clear from the PRR, 1482, correct? Objection to form clarification, what data he's referring to? The data that is contained within Exhibit 20 that you testified, you analyzed before you came here today. Objection. Sorry, at the beginning of trial. Can I don't want to miss it. You did not analyze it. Hold on. Do you understand the question? I believe so. Okay. And you can answer it. Well, I testified that I did not see the raw data that is used to create this but I am very familiar with the raw data that was provided for the We the People PRR 14. May I approach, Your Honor? You may. And here's what I would like. Hold on, strike that. I'm going to ask that question in a few minutes. Okay, if we if we go back to the seventy thousand number, we'll just make this easy. Let's go back to the seventy thousand number. All right. There are three thousand eight hundred Uacava ballots that you say would be included in that. Is that that could be included in that because of the rate at which they were approved? That could be included, correct. And you can do simple math? I believe so. So if, if you and I just had a gentleman agreement whereby we would simply remove the 3,800 from that data, what would the number be? The 70,000? It would be 66,000 if we round up the, to 4,000. Okay. It's a fairly substantial number, isn't it? Yes. Okay. All right. And you're identifying as being zero second? Um, no, what does the chart say? Table it says zero seconds, 44,799. And then for the... Oh, no, 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 no. If we extract the 3,800 UACAVA ballots, because we had already agreed that users number 26 and 9 were not included in Mr. Specking's analysis. Do you recall that? Yeah. The top users or the top People who approve the most, okay. if, if they're not included in there, and your testimony is that the 3,800 is included in there, then that's all we need to remove, correct? Objection, form, and foundation. I suppose if you understood the question and you can answer it, you can do so. The first point is that I don't see the 70,000 number noted on this chart at all. So when you keep referring to 
could that not be? There is no 70,000. It was only brought up by Mr. Olson and also in, within the court. So I, I'm using that just as much as you are saying 70,000 is what you determined to be two seconds to zero seconds that, and I don't see the 70,000 here at all. So I wouldn't remove 3,800 from 70,000 that's not reflected on this chart. Okay. All right. And we'll, we will come back to that. And uh, we will. Well, I, I got another question. How many times? Well, we're, no, Your Honor, we're, we're going to more math. I don't mind more math, but I do mind going over the same problems or the same questions again and again and again. So Un understood, Your Honor. It, you get the answer, you move on. So do you have another question? I'm trying to be patient, and I'm giving you all the leeway I can. But let's be succinct to the point and then move on. I assume that much of this is for foundation for another witness I'll be seeing later today. All right? Excuse me, Your Honor? I'm assuming much of this is for another witness I'll be seeing later today. Well, um, that depends, Your Honor. Okay, then that's fine. I'm not going to inhibit your case. Right. I'm just saying for expeditious use of time, it seems to me all right. the trier of fact that I've heard the same line of questioning at least four times this morning. Okay, thank you, Your Honor. You testified about the video of whom I've been referring to as a specific user. Do you recall that? Yeah. And you testified that, you know, you couldn't be clear, but you believe he might have been going backwards. That is, what, did I get that right? In doing a second review, however, he that normally would infer going backwards from your almost done batch. And so you've had a chance to look at your own data now, right? Does, does going back through and looking add any keystrokes? It does not. Unless you change something, you can. You have the option to say, oh, that should have been a reject or exception or a good sig, whatever it may be. So if someone took 250 seconds to review 250 signatures, and this is a hypothetical, right? And then they went back and scrolled back through them all just to clarify. It wouldn't suddenly become, in the data, a 250 in 500 seconds, correct? Correct. It would not be part of the data because you're not setting a disposition. Okay. So the only data then, just to be clear, that is contained within Exhibit 20, the data set, in terms of ballot, affidavit, envelope, acceptance, or exceptioned, those two pieces, correct? And user number and, but for data keystrokes, it would be accepted and exceptioned? For level one, it would be exception or good. Yeah. 
Okay, good. Good's better than saying accepted and accepted. So. And can we bring up uh, October 17th? I want to talk to you a little bit about who I refer to as user number 134. And you've had some time now, apparently, to look into this user, to learn more about him, correct? To inquire about. Objection, um, foundation? Uh, we have no idea who 134 is. What he's referring to? Okay. I'm going to overrule. If, if a question is asked about 134, Mr. Valenzuela can determine whether he can answer the question or not. And the witness answered, Your Honor. And, I, and if I may, for clarification, I don't know that that's 134, but I do know this who this individual is as far as... Okay, that's clarified it. You weren't paying attention because you're talking back there, but he just answered the question that you objected to. Yeah. I'm not trying to be critical by saying that. He clarified... He just said it on the record. I don't know who 134 is, but I know who the person in the video is. I understand that, Your Honor, but I'm, yes. I'm rising for a different reason. I apologize then. Go ahead, Mr. Letty. Um, I don't know, Your Honor, what is up on the screen. Um, is that Exhibit 19 or is that a new video? Oh, that that, that, that is not a, an exhibit, and I apologize. Yeah, thank you, Your Honor. Joining as well, I would just, I would, I'd ask the court to please have Ms. Lake's counsel tell us what we're looking at before they start asking questions so we can follow along right. and do our jobs. So it's foundation, Your Honor. And so what I'm going to show, Your Honor, I will ask the witness if he can tell if it's the same individual or not. But what I'm going to show, Your Honor, are still images of the individual I'm referring to as Exhibit 134, as, as user number 134. Now, I know there's no agreement or stipulation as to that, but I'm referring to him that as I don't have any other better name to use. <clears throat> but I'm going to show still images of him sitting at the same desk on October 17th, on November 10th, on November 11th, and then one of him in his new role um, that is actually handling ballot affidavit envelopes. Mm -hmm. Because this trial started, Your Honor. Well, first of all, you've already told me. You don't have to tell me why the because and make the argument. You've told me what you're intending to show by using this video. You want to use videos that are not marked for identification? Correct, Your Honor. And stills, and I'm not going to move them into evidence. I'm not going to try to move them, move them into evidence. Okay. Record, Judge, just so, so I can do what you need to do. Morgan, go ahead. Objection, Judge. He agreed to disclose exhibits. We disclosed exhibits. I'll remind the court. I disclosed my impeachment exhibits. This is late disclosure. I'll remind the court. I think this is the second or third time. This isn't appropriate. I think the court agrees. I think the court expressed that agreement. Your Honor, I would add that this is prejudicial to our clients as well. We have no way of understanding what's happening right now. And, Your Honor, I would add that I understand why the court has been lenient, certainly in the case in chief. 
They've rested their case. I think it's wholly inappropriate and prejudicial to have new exhibits entered while he's cross-examining a witness at this late hour, a material that has not been disclosed to this party. Thank you, Ron. been trying to stretch um yeah it's been pointed out to me that we're over time for the court reporter it, oh. it had it had been my apparently uh false hope that we might have been finished with one portion of director across in a relatively short period of time um it please the court your honor we can take a break and i'll move on you don't want to use the evidence or you're not going to ask that line of questioning well your honor i would love to because he's given completely different versions if you're not going to ask the questions related to showing the video then just tell me that you don't have to tell me why or why not, but that will alleviate the objections and the ruling on the objections, but it's up to you. I will uh, withdraw the question, Your Honor. Okay, so you're not going to use the video clips? Uh, they're still images, but no, Your Honor. Uh, images, I'm sorry, I misspoke. All right, so you're not, so the objections are all withdrawn. Objection withdrawn, Your Honor. Withdrawn, Your Honor. Thank you. For the sake of my court reporter, we're going to take a 15-minute recess, um, and uh, we'll be back at a quarter after the hour. Thank you, Your Honor.
All right, all right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on a 15-minute break, and I uh, I got a couple seconds here. I'm, I'm watching my kid right now, so I have to make this quick. But surprisingly, Brian Blem actually did a pretty thorough job of debunking the county's arguments and cross-examining Ray Valenzuela, the election administrator. You know, uh, Brian Blem, he's hit or miss, man. The guy is really hit or miss. It's kind of like the... You ever seen the movie uh, My Cousin Vinny? I just watched that movie a couple weeks ago. He reminds me of My Cousin Vinny and a cross between Joe Pesci and the dude from The Big Lebowski. Hang on one sec. My kid was eating dirt outside. So we got Van with us today. Ow! And he hates my headphones for some reason. But let me try to just break this down real quick, because I saw in the chat a lot of people were getting confused with all the math and whatnot. It's actually not that complicated. So you know there's this, this data set that Carrie Lake's attorneys have been relying upon to show that there was X amount of signatures verified in less than three seconds. And they're using that data set. Uh, for example, one of the numbers that they're, they put forth is that 70 thousand uh ballots were <laughs> he's putting my desk down 70,000 ballots were verified in less than two seconds with a 99.87 percent approval rate they got these numbers from maricopa county and they put them into a data set right and so what the county is trying to do is basically debunk that data set and one of the arguments that they put forth ray valenzuela put forth when he was being examined by the county is that that data is not reliable because included in that data set is the early in-person voters. And the early in-person voters, there was roughly 44,000 of them, right? And so when they go to vote in person, they're voting via a mail-in ballot, um, but they're voting in person, right? So the identity uh, verification is a bit different. They don't actually have to pull up their registration signature and compare that to the mail-in ballot affidavit. Instead, they show some form of identification. And so they show their ID, their, their voter ID, right? And by doing that, their identity is verified. So there's no need to actually compare their signature on file with the affidavit signature. And so these voters <laughs> take zero seconds they're reflected as zero-second signature verification, right, in, in the data. Um, and so when you have 44,000 of these people, early in-person voters, that take that reflect as zero seconds, when you include that into the data set, then that skews the data. So the when we're saying there's 70,000, uh, when we're saying there's 70,000 voters whose signatures were verified in less than three seconds, and you, and you have 44,000 early in-person voters that were verified in zero seconds, the data is completely skewed. That was the county's argument, right? Well, what Brian Blem just did is prove that this data set did not actually include those voters, that Eric Spikeen filtered them out. And this was known at the... Uh, this was known yesterday during the trial, and uh, basically the county tried to put up this argument knowing that that data wasn't included. And so <clears throat> Brian Blem just completely destroyed the county. 
And uh, what this means is that this data set still stands as valid. So when we say there's uh, 70,000 70, mail-in ballots that were verified in less than two seconds with a 99.87% approval rate, that data still stands. So that's very important. Brian Blem did a very good job, actually, of asking some very um, specific questions. So I'm actually pretty pleased with how that the last, I don't know, half hour or so went. Uh, when we come back, I guess he's going to continue to drill down into. We have the, some of this is even confusing to me. We have these anonymous users that were part of the level one signature verification process, right? And <clears throat> so we have the anonymous username match with how many signatures they verified, um, at what speed, and the percentage of approval, right? But we don't actually know who those anonymous users are. And we don't know, there's specifically one user that the Lake attorneys believe is the guy in the video. And they're trying to kind of reverse engineer and pin it down and figure out that this, um, this one user from the video matches up and coincides with the anonymous username. All right, so that's about all I can say right now. I got to get back to my kid. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to click that like button. And, uh, yeah, we should be wrapping up earlier today than we did the, the previous days. We're going to get through the examination, then closing arguments, and that should do it. All right, it's a real nail-biter out there, I know. But, it's again, it's all going to come down to how this judge chooses to interpret what constitutes a valid uh, signature verification. All right, I'm going to get out of here.
We are continuing on the record in CV 2022-09-5403. This is Lake versus Hobbs at Al. And present for the record are uh, the party's respective counsel. Presence of the actual parties uh, has been waived in certain circumstances. There are other party representatives present. And we are continuing with the cross-examination of Mr. Valenzuela by um, Mr. Blim. So we'll resume where we left off, Mr. Blim. Thank you, Your Honor. And I'm, I'm almost done, Your Honor. Very brief. All right, Mr. Valenzuela. I'm sorry, Ray. Do you recall your testimony yesterday about exact matching signatures being pretty quick. I don't recall, but uh, using the terminology that they're exactly consistent, maybe more appropriate, but... Would you like uh, me to replay it for you? No, but I'm saying that, yes, to that degree that it, I recall that we, if their signature is consistent, using that term match, then it would be pretty quick. Using the term exact? There is no such thing as an exact signature, even if I signed here today. So I try to stay away from saying exact, but it is consistent. May I play, Your, Your Honor, a video clip of his testimony from his previous testimony on this very issue? Well, first of all, if you ask him, did he or did he not? And there's last three. Excuse me. Still here. So, if you ask him the question, if he, it, it, this is for impeachment's sake. So, if he said, I don't call at this time, if you want to ask him, there's a difference between a denial and I don't recall. Could you have said that? And if he did, whatever. Understood. Just go ahead and ask him. Yesterday during your testament, was it yesterday? So. You, you testified about different types of signatures and the speed it would take to conclude for a level one re reviewer whether or not it's, it's a good signature or an exception. You recall that line of testimony? Yeah. You specifically testified that it would take maybe one to two seconds for a level one reviewer to approve <laughs> Exact match. You recall that? I, I can believe that I, yes, that I could have said that. And then you went on and testified about those signatures that might take a little bit longer to approve as being close. Do you recall that? What are you basing this measure on? Basing the measure on the, the 
fact that it was the whole purpose of the signature review is to look for consistency when you find consistency to be 99.99 using a hypothetical in that rare circumstance where using the term an exact match, uh, then you that makes it so that there is no necessary uh, time frame to have to go through all signatures, look at different characteristics. Do you use a stopwatch? Do I use a stopwatch? No, but I use my own personal experience having done signature verification for 20 years and probably millions of signatures. Millions of signatures. You only did 1,600 the last election. I've been in the occupation for 20 years, and if you multiply that times the million elections that we have been held over that period of time and me being part of the early voting signature review process for that time frame, I can extrapolate that I, at the very least, looked at over the 20 years. There have been a million elections within the jurisdiction. A million signatures. Again, I apologize. That's just an uh, estimate of having looked at average worker, as as shown in the data, looks at 60 to 70,000 an election, and 10 years would be 660. 20 would probably put me at the million. The reason I ask you this question, and I'm... Let me hand you what's been marked as Exhibit 1, marked and admitted as Exhibit 1. And uh, I believe we've looked at this um, exhibit before. Is that correct? Yes, I have. Sorry. Can you read, please, for the court, the last sentence on paragraph 1 of page 2? The last sentence, paragraph 1. If after going through the above analysis, you find the combination of differences between the signature on the ballot affidavit and the signatures in the voter registration database, consider whether the difference can be reasonably explained. Yes. I'm sorry, there was some confusion. I meant page two in terms of hard copy pages, and he a different point into a page numbered page, so I apologize, Your Honor. This I is apologize. what you want him to read, though. Correct, Your Honor. Last sentence of paragraph one, please. The guide is provided to assist county recorders, offices, and their staff in consider conducting signature verification and is intended to be used as reference in combination with the county recorder's specific procedures for early ballot processing. The Arizona Secretary of State's office thanks the Colorado Secretary. You're on the. Point it to the last. Please just point to it, what you wanted to read exactly. Okay. The, the, the last sentence starting here with this the first guy. Paragraph. Okay. So that's the last sentence in the first paragraph. Okay. This guide will help those reviewing ballot affidavit signatures determine whether the ballot affidavit signature and the voter signature in the voter registration database were authored by the same person. That's pretty weighty, isn't it? I apologize. I couldn't hear. Pretty. That is pretty weighty, isn't it? Defining weighty. That carries a lot of weight. And it's, okay. Yes. It's, well, it's a pretty profound job, isn't it? It's important. Signature verification is indeed important. Incredibly important, right? Correct. 
Because although you testified earlier that there are these multiple processes in place to ensure that the right people are voting, the only one at the end of the day that matters is that signature. Isn't that true? I disagree. Disagree? Well, I suppose we can disagree. But what's standing in the way of that ballot being tabulated and not? It's a preponderant and a combination of multiple checks and balances, but it is one of the factors that is important. All asthma is all. At the end of the day, you get a ballot affidavit envelope with a ballot inside that is signed by somebody. Correct? Correct. Okay. The only thing standing between that ballot affidavit envelope being opened, the ballot removed, and the ballot being tabulated is that signature and the person verifying it, correct? Correct. It's a significant act, is it not? It is indeed. And your testimony about exact matches being able to be done very quickly, that I started this line of questioning with, well, strike that. Is there such a thing as an exact match? There, there is a potential to have a high consistency signature that then, on general terms, could be considered an exact match. You're pointing something out, yes. Mayor Brooks, I was going to point to another page of mine. Please, you may do that, yes. So we can save this court time and... Mayor? Yes. All right. Paragraph one, sentence one, and don't start reading yet. But you have a trained forensic dominant analyst that trains your workers, is that correct? That trains our permanent FTEs, correct. You're permanent. And and there is some folks that came back from the primary that we included in that, correct. Okay. So are you telling me that that trained forensic document analyst does not train your temporary signature verification employees? Depending on the cycle, there could be a point where we're bringing them in two weeks and they would have missed that class. So there is a training. It's just that is as provided in the exhibit, our training that extrapolates the forensic training done by that. But they're not all trained by this professional, correct? Correct. Okay. And uh, can you read that first sentence that I pointed to in paragraph one for the court? When conducting signature verification, it is important to keep in mind that everyone writes differently and no one signs their name exactly the same way twice. A ballot affidavit signature should not be rejected because it does not look exactly. Are you done with the first sentence? Oh, I apologize. I was reading the first paragraph. Okay, so you testified yesterday that that document was prepared by a collaborative effort involving the different counties, correct? Correct. And forensic document analysts, correct? This document, not by forensic document. That is, it's extrapolated from their training. Okay, from their training. And that training is that no one signs their name the exact same way twice, correct? Not as a definitive, but uh, yes, that is on the 
norm is that it's not 100% exactly okay. the same, can, not all the time. All right. And so if, if okay. the same, can, not all the time. All right. And so if, if, if that's the case, then aren't all of the signatures your workers verify either close or not? Because there is no exact. Consistent. That's exactly the term I continue to use. Are they consistent or inconsistent? The reason I'm down this road is, Ray, you use the term exact. And you said you probably did, so we're not going to go into the video. Actually, if I may, I know exactly what you're trying to infer, but I said, could it be possible that a person looks at, if that signature is an exact match, so let's say that out of a million, we had 10 exact match. It's possible to have an exact matching signature. So I was inferring that as a hypothetical that if you had an exact match, those should go pretty fast. But then those that were close, you testified, could take three, four, 20 seconds. Correct. If there's more looking at these broad and local characteristics is necessary, then absolutely could take longer and shake longer. Okay. And... Aren't these broad and local characteristics designed to get subjectivity out of signature verification? They're designed to help you assess, the, and in the, in the world, the consistency of that signature as you look to review the characters, but not all are required, as actually says in this, this actual statement and analysis, that they're not all required. Okay. You testified none of them are required, is that correct? No, I testified that they are not all required, that you must, you do not need to go to 11-point check on every signature. And as an example, a little bit facetious, there is none to look at in a no signature. In I, a, a signature that has a high consistency, you do not, as prescribed here, do not go into the local. It actually says if their signature on the broad characteristics are clearly consistent with the broad characteristics of the voting signature and the voter registration data, you may accept the signature and move on. Understood. But your testimony was that if they see an exact match, they don't even have to go into broad characteristics. They just see an exact match. And I, those are quick. I would actually disagree again. An exact match actually visually is going through these broad characteristics. You're actually looking at it and saying, oh, the type of writing the cursive and the print is exactly the same as a type of writing. It does not require that you go, let me double check. All of those things and why they're called broad characteristics are what can be done instantly, if you will. Okay. That's cursive, that's not. But if so, that is cursive and cursive, you do not need to go line item is what I was indicating. And so the, the, point, the point of my questioning is <laughs> you agree with me, wouldn't you, that that it's not just it's not just about well strike that I have no further questions. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Valenswell, it's been a long day, long morning. <clears throat> a bit. You've been asked um, questions about Mistress Patine's 
chart. Recall that? Yeah. Testify that you're not really that familiar with the chart. Is that correct? That's correct. When was the first time you saw Mr. Spikin's chart? Here in court. Would it be true that, say, you don't know anything about Mr. Bikin's chart except the representations that were made in court? That'd be correct. Including the representations made by Mr. Spikin? That'd be correct. And do you recall him testifying that he and the others that produced that chart used the Maricopa County response to the We the People public records request materials in order to create it. Correct. And you are familiar with the We the People public records request. Very familiar. And you recall participating in finding the materials for Maricopa County to respond to that. Correct. In crafting the request as requested through the PRR. And you're familiar with the data in the Maricopa County response to the public records request, correct? I'm familiar with the multiple responses of data sets that we provided. But you have no knowledge about what was or wasn't and how any of it was put into the Spikeen chart? I do not. On cross, you were just asked by counsel questions about worker number 9 and 26. Do you recall that? I do. You were asked whether the data on number 9 and number 6 columns were eliminated by Mr. Spikeen when he was calculating his averages. Do you recall that? Yes, I do. You recall being asked by Lakes Council whether the worker number nine and 26 columns were eliminated from the cumulative totals that would affect the averages? I do recall. I'm going to object, Your Honor. There's a long exchange of questions about whether or not they were averages. They're not. Okay. The objection is to the form of the question? The form, and it, it uh, sort of misstates the evidence.
I think we're still live, guys. I'm really sorry. Van came in here and pulled the plug on my computer. It'll take me two seconds to pull it back up. Um, <laughs> he, I'm sorry, guys. Hang on one sec. I think we're still live, guys. I'm really sorry. Van came in here and pulled the my son pulled the plug on all the equipment. All of it's connected to one power strip. And those of you that tuned in yesterday saw he was trying to do it yesterday. What happens when you take your eyes off your kid for two seconds? All right, I got. It. I do. Okay. You're. You've already testified about the curing process? Correct. Would you say that the curing process is also a process that's executed by the Maricopa County Recorder's Office and the signature verification that, quote-unquote, stands between whether an envelope is opened or not? It is. And previously you testified about several other steps that Maricopa County takes pursuant to the mandates of the Arizona statutes to ensure that only lawful voters are even receive a ballot affidavit envelope on which they could affix their signature, correct? That is correct. So it would be accurate to say that there are many different steps that Maricopa County takes and did take in November of 2022 to ensure that when a ballot an affidavit envelope is open, there's a high assurance that that was, in fact, sent from a lawful voter. Is that accurate? It is accurate. There is foundational inf data that is, or checks and balances that are in place before that ballot is tabulated that must un be under undertaken. Do you still have Exhibit 1 in front of you as it was presented by counsel for Ms. Lake? I did. Would you turn to page 4, please? Page 4 is numbered. Page 4 on the bottom. I'm at that. If you recognize that, just can you match it up with the one that you just read? It, it, just to clarify, the begins with broad characteristics. Is that page four that you're referencing on the bottom? Yeah, I approach your honor. Amen. Page four. Where's, where's the sentence he asked you to read? Um, started here. Mm -hmm. This was the one. And then you went on, right? Yeah. Go ahead and read that and read all the way through the bottom of that. Okay. Wait, I want to make sure that we're on the and ask you to do. So, Mr. Valenzuela, please reread that sentence, and you were cut off as you were continuing on. I'm, a I'm asking you to please continue on to the end of the sentence. So this guide will help those reviewing ballot affidavit signatures determine whether the ballot affidavit signature and the voter signature in the voter registration database, database were authored by the same person. Continues, this guide is provided to assist county recorder offices and their staff in conducting signature verification and is intended to be used as reference. In combination with the county recorder's 
specific procedures for early ballot processing. The Arizona Secretary of State's offers, office thanks Colorado State of uh, Secretary of State's office and Yavapai County Recorder's office for sharing their excellent guides from which this guide is adapted. And from your personal experience, was that done in the 2002 signature review process at Maricopa County? This guide was indeed referenced, and it was following the county recorder's specific procedures for early ballot review. Now, I'm asking on the same, docu same document, can you look and see the paragraph that is uh, labeled B's and Bravo analysis? Yes. Would you read that first paragraph in its entirety, please? Beginning with when conducting? Yes, please. When conducting signature verification, it is important to keep in mind that everyone writes differently and no one signs their name exactly the same twice. A ballot affidavit signature should not be rejected because it does not look exactly, emphasized, italicized, the same as a signature in the voter's registration record. Thank the following two-step analysis will allow you to confidently decide whether signatures are consistent with each other. Thank you. Through your testimony today, you testified about certain quantities of election packets and, and ballot affidavit envelopes. Do you recall that? Yeah. And you testified about specific numbers of them, correct? Correct. As you hear today, you believe those numbers you testified to are facts. Is that correct? Correct. You didn't calculate any averages. Absolutely did no analysis or calculation, simply filtered to a specific user and that total. So the numbers you provided in court were facts. Is that correct? Correct. You didn't testify at all about any voter data averages. Is that correct? Correct. For the record, if I may clarify, I did not testify voter data average as it relates to that data. I did not do any analysis. Again, Your Honor, just so the court's continuing knowledge applies. Say again? Oh, I would object, but I don't want to interrupt this court. But again, we're talking about averages. And so, Your Honor had previously said you understand what's being said. Well, I understand what an average is, and I understand what understood your testimony was before. So, I, if you're asking me to reassure you that I understand what an average is, or I, I don't follow quite. I just want to raise my continuing objection because he just said he gave no testimony with respect to averages in this case. Right. Okay. Noted. Thank you, Your Honor. May I address that to clarify the record? Well. I mean, you, you both can make closing arguments based on what the proof is. If you think you need to clarify something with the witness, you certainly may do that with the witness. Thank you, Ron. I, I, I will take your advice. 
I will do that. I just asked you questions about numbers of ballots and ballot packets that you testified to. Is that correct? Correct. And I asked you whether you test whether you calculated the averages of any of those. And you answered what? No. Your Honor, that was the testimony. Okay. Thank you. May I approach, Your Honor? Me. Balanswell, I just handed you what's been admitted into evidence as Exhibit 47. You recognize that document? I do. Have you seen it before during these proceedings? Just minutes ago. Does that appear to be the document that was prepared by Mr. Spikeen? It does indeed. And you know that how? Because Mr. Spikeen indicated that he did create it. Outside of his representations made us in the court, you have no idea how that document was created. Is that correct? That's correct. Have you personally verified any of the information used by Mr. Spikeen placed into Exhibit 47? This exhibit specifically, no. Do you have personal knowledge of any of the calculations that were used to create this chart? The raw data that we provided, I have personal knowledge of. How it was extrapolated to get these percentages, I do not. You look at that exhibit all the way to the left, what I would call the first column, but the leftmost column. Do you see that? Yes. And up on the top, can you read the label of that first column? Worker. And the first um, entry in that, would you read that for me? User 001. Could you scroll all the way down to the bottom and read the last one for me? User 032. All the way down to the bottom. To the end, that last page. Yes, please. User 155. User 155. Did you memorize the names of all the 155 users of the level one signature verification that was used in um, 2022 general election? I did not. But you did testify that only 153 of them were employees, correct? Correct. Do you recall hearing Ms. Lake's attorney ask if worker number workers number nine and twenty-six were eliminated from the cumulative totals that would affect the averages? I do. To scroll all the way down to the bottom. Well, you're already there. So in the second come from the left, can you read that total down there for me? 1,416,520. Could you scroll all the way up to the top and tell me what the label is of that column? Verifications overall. 1,416,520. Did I read that correctly? Yes.
Your Honor, no further questions. Very well. Sorry, Your Honor. We have one minor housekeeping matter. I'm sorry. <clears throat> your indulgence, Your Honor. What is this that? It's I approach your honor. Good evening. Ray, I just handed a document to you. Could you read the number on the green slip? Exhibit number 36. Take a look at the document. I'm familiar. Tell me what it is. It is a, not a complete, but a cover page and the summary of the election results for the 22 November general election. And to your knowledge, are those numbers depicted on that canvas correct? They are. Did you participate in the canvas of the general election for November 2022? I did. Did you assist in the presentation of that canvas to the Board of Supervisors? I did. And do those numbers depicted on that canvas reflect the work of the many permanent and temporary employees used by the county recorder, Stephen Richer, and himself in doing signature verification of those ballot envelopes, affidavit envelopes, prior to those numbers being totaled? Very specifically, these are the number of good SIGs in lay terms, the 1,311,734. It's a total, grand total of absolute good SIG, unique voter IDs cast. How many ballots, presumably, that were inside ballot affidavit envelopes failed through the entire process that you've described over these last three days of signature verification and in the end were not opened and were not tabulated? The grand total out of those that were not cured, if you will, was 3,099. You know that from your personal experience. Sorry. 3099. 3099, Your Honor. And you know that from your personal information. Because I am party to creating that for the canvas, that what would be termed as a reject report. And you, no saves and basics. And you and Recorder Richard's team started with north of 1.3 million. Is that correct? Correct. Signature verified all of them except. 3,099, is that correct? Correct. With, with those, a portion of those going to questionable that are then 15,411 were cured, meaning the voter contacted. And there's the Yucavas and the other that you've testified about. The remainder would be the 3,099. And Ray, that really happened, didn't it? Absolutely. And you were there, right? And we have data, unique to voter IDs that tie to those particular records. I have no further questions, Your Honor. Can we excuse the witness? 
No further questions, Your Honor. Your Honor, I move that exhibit. What is it? It's 36. 36 be moved into evidence. Objection? No objection, Your Honor. 36 is admitted. My question again, can we excuse the witness? Mr. Valenzuela, thank you. You can step down. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Does the defense have any other further witnesses? Are you going to, are you resting? Yes, please put that with the rest of the exhibits. Thank you. The county defendants rest, Your Honor. Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill which may never exist. But believe it or not, I may have found the next best thing. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviewers can't be wrong. Simply place your order now to get 51% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com. www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting mode, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com fighterflare.com
All right. Um, do plaintiffs anticipate any rebuttal? No, Your Honor. Okay. So will you be all prepared to return at 1.30 to present to me your closing arguments? Yes, sir. Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. Very well, then. I will see you then.
All right. Be seated. Okay. This is CV 2022-095-403. This is Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs et al. And this is a continuation of the trial. Present for the record are either the parties, parties representatives or having had their presence waived previously or not in attendance. I have counsel for the respective parties present as well. Um, <laughs> can find a seat for you, sir, if you want to scoot down. If the people in the back row can scoot down for him or make room, that'd be great. Thank you. Okay. Are we ready to proceed, counsel, each of you? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. We will proceed with the closing arguments in this case. Uh, since you stood, I presume it's you, Mr. Olson. You can do it from either there or podium, whichever you prefer. Proceed as you're ready, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. The legislature passes election laws to give people a framework to have faith and trust in their elections. Election officials wield enormous power. With that power comes responsibility, a responsibility to follow the law. Because if those laws are not followed, the people lose trust. It's well known that a majority of the people today do not have the people lose trust. It's well known that a majority of the people today do not trust our elections. That's in large part due to election officials not following the law. You could see when Mrs. Onakite testified, she came all the way from Colorado to testify here as a concerned citizen. She witnessed firsthand what goes on in Maricopa elections. She is far from alone. She felt like her and her grandchildren's sacred right to vote is being lost. That's why she teared up. As stated before, Your Honor, mail-in ballots are the largest source of potential voter fraud. Let's put that in perspective. In 2005, when the Carter-Baker Commission made that statement, there was about 40% of votes in Europa were mail-in ballots. They are now 80% of mail-in votes. If there was ever a time for strict enforcement of election laws governing mail-in ballots, this is it. Because the vast majority of voting is done by mail-in here. Signature verification of the voter is the gatekeeper dense against fraud and mail-in voting. 
The Arizona legislature enacted ARS 16-550 to deter voter fraud. It wasn't done to make it easier to vote. It was specifically designed to deter voter fraud. As former Attorney General Bronovich stated in his April 6, 2022 letter to Senate President Karen Pham regarding Maricopa's handling of the 2020 election, requiring a match between the signature on the ballot affidavit and the signature on file with the state is currently the most important election integrity measure when it comes to early ballots. A.G. Bronovich followed up that statement, revealing that there are problematic system-wide abuses that relate to early ballot handling and verification. The early ballot signature verification system in Maricopa County is insufficient to guard against abuse. At times, election workers conducting the verification process had only seconds to review a signature. For example, on November 4, 2020, the Maricopa County recorder verified 206,648 early ballot affidavit signatures, which resulted in an average of 4.6 seconds per signature. There are simply too many early ballots that must be verified in too limited a period of time, thus leaving the system vulnerable to error, fraud, and oversight. This letter alone, Your Honor, put the county on notice of their failures before the 2022 general election. And regardless of whether the county believes they debunked the statement that there were 206,000 ballots that were processed in 4.6 seconds, what's not been debunked is the actual county data that underpins plaintiff's claims that shows, as plaintiff's expert testified, that over that approximately 274,000 ballots out of a 1.3 million cast were, were compared and the signature verified purportedly in less than three seconds a ballot. 70,000 in less than two seconds a ballot. That's not signature comparison in accordance with 16 ARS 550, as I will delve into a little bit later. Maricopa puts on a facade of taking signature verification seriously. Last week, Council for Maricopa called signature verification an art. There are no rules in art. This week, they changed it and they talked about the science of signature verification. Which there, and what defines a science? A science is defined by recognized and defined criteria. And there are recognized and defined criteria for evaluating or for comparing, to use the express term in 16550, there are defined criteria for comparing a signature with a record signature to verify whether it is consistent or not. Again, this is the gatekeeper defense to voter fraud. And Maricopa, 80% of the ballots are mail-in ballots in Maricopa. Maricopa's training manuals note a number of 
These define characteristics. For example, we've heard testimony about the 11 unique characteristics used to analyze and compare signatures and to determine whether or not they are consistent. Maricopa knows this. They've also brought in a signature expert. You heard testimony that uh, Kathleen, uh, got her last name, but Kathleen, the signature expert, which I'll uh, came in to train people in the science of signature verification. So on one hand, Maricopa claims signature verification is a science and that they are doing a great job training its signature verification workers in order to boost public confidence. But in practice, it's anything goes. As Maricopa's own data shows, that data shows that their vaunted signature verification training and manuals is nothing than disingenuous window dressing. The law is not that flexible. 16550 states that the county recorder or other officer in charge of elections shall compare the signatures thereon with the signature of the elector on the elector's registration record. If the signature is inconsistent with the elector's signature on the elector's registration record, the county recorder or other officer in charge of elections shall make reasonable efforts to contact the voter and cure. The shall compare is mandatory. A determination of whether or not a signature is inconsistent is mandatory. It has long been settled in Arizona, in the case of Supreme Court, Arizona Supreme Court case, State v. Miller, that the words of a statute are to be given their ordinary meaning unless it appears from the context or otherwise that a different meaning is intended. There is no alternate meaning other than the common usage of the terms in this statute. Webster's Dictionary defines compare as, quote, to examine the character or qualities of especially in order to discover resemblances or differences. Webster's Dictionary also defines consistent as marked by harmony, regularity, or steady continuity, free from variation or contradiction. The election procedure manual, which has the force of law under Arizona code, requires signature verification for mail-in ballots as well. Signature verification is the term or phrase that is used. To verify means to establish the truth, accuracy, or reality of. ARS 16550 does not say the county recorder or other officer in charge of elections shall glance at signatures thereon. The whole purpose of signature verification is to make a, a, a comparison of the signature on the ballot envelope with the record signature. That requires a minimum amount of time in order to accomplish and to comply with the statutory requirement. If I flip the pages of a book, thumbing through them, I can say I'm reading it, but it's not so. 
Similarly, parking a signature verification worker in front of a computer screen while they tap on the keyboard and scroll through ballot images or ballot signature images is not signature verification in accordance with the law. You heard the live testimony of two whistleblowers from Maricopa County who performed the signature verification. That's Andrew Myers and Jacqueline Onakite. Ms. Onakite performed level one verification. Mr. Myers performed primarily curing, though he testified he did perform level one signature verification during the general election in the first week. They testified that there were approximately 24 workstations at MTEC for level one and three for level two. That's a maximum of 27, 28 workstations for level one and two. Two shifts working 7.30 a.m. to approximately 7.30 at night. That's a maximum of approximately 54 personnel with two full shifts. That's what the public saw. This was the front that Maricopa put on to the public. It's under camera. There's observers watching. Looks like things are being done out in the open and transparent. But Maricopa, as we learned, had an additional 99 signature verification workers that were not subject to camera, that were working in back offices in a recorder. As Mr. Valenzuela testified, he was doing signature verification, and he wasn't going to have anybody standing over his shoulder looking at him. 99 other workers who were not open to the public What's really interesting about that, Your Honor, is that both witnesses testified that they interacted directly with the level two signature verification workers at the, the area which the public saw. And they testified how the level two workers were overwhelmed with all of the ballots that were being sent up to them. And they were complaining. They also testified that the level two workers just flat out could not perform a level two review, and we kicked it back without even opening. Again, not performing signature review. They were overwhelmed. They kicked them back to level one. The question is, if Maricopa had all this extra help, and I'm not saying they didn't. I'm sure they did. But why didn't even the whistleblowers or anybody at the public viewing station or the level two workers who were overwhelmed know about these other workers? Why? Why was this all done behind closed doors? That is the secret army that Maricopa employed that goes to the heart of the observation of Andrew Myers, who testified that the math never added up. And if you recall, Your Honor, he testified how on November 9th, a flood of 290,000 ballots came through. And for the next two and a half days, they were working, but not working 24-7 like they expected. And that there was no way for the signature verification workers at MTEC in those two rooms, which are under camera, which have observers, there was no way for them to process it. And the Maricopa managers and officials weren't even making them work 24-7. He thought it was really odd, strange. 
But no one ever told them that there were all these other workers that were picking this up. Why the secrecy? A lack of transparency goes to the public trust. This is what Maricopa does. They put cameras. These signature verification workers over here, transparency, the public has to try to build faith in the system. But they're in the back office having twice as many employees running all these signatures. Maricopa's own timestamp log data proves by clear and convincing evidence that Maricopa is not conducting signature verification in accordance with the law. And, Your Honor, if I may, I would like to pull up Exhibit 47 that was entered. So I'd just like to run through a few of the findings from this data produced by Maricopa County. And would it be easier, Your Honor, if we pulled it up on, on your computer screen as opposed to? We can do both and I can. No. So, Your Honor, just to point out a few. Give it a hard copy. Do you have an exhibit? Are you using the original? I'm using the original. But, Your Honor, I could. Tell you what, I've got your copies up here. But do you have 47 in your binder? I didn't see it before. Because the binders were done before trial and 47 was added. Ready. So, Your Honor, if you look at, there are 155 users here. There's been much controversy about whether or not user 9. I can give that, she's got it now. Oh. I've got it here on my screen. I'm sorry. Okay. Defendants have made a number of inaccurate statements with respect to this exhibit. First, with respect <laughs> to users 9 and 26, Mr. Valenzuela, in attempting to reduce the number of signature verifications that were performed, claimed that Mr. Spikine, in his testimony, included the number from user number 9 and user number 26 when he 
opined that 274,000 signatures were compared and verified in less than three seconds. Recall Council for Maricopa went through this exercise of trying to reduce the number. Mr. McKean expressly testified that he did not include the figures from user number nine, which is 1,309 ballots and 44,361 respectively in that calculation. Thus, he testified, Your Honor, if you flip to the last page, In the column to the right, which is the number of ballots that were compared and verified in three seconds or less, that's basically just above zero, up to three, uh, just below three seconds, 321,495 signatures. Mr. Spikine testified that from that figure, he deducted the results from users 9 and 26, and that's where he... <clears throat> Came up with a figure of 274,000. Go back again. Which column are you looking at now? This is the last two columns entitled verifications in less than or equal to, and it says two seconds, but right. as Mr. Spikine testified, it's really less than three seconds because it's. See where you're at. Thank you. Mr. Spikine also testified that though the metric of signatures being compared and verified in less than two seconds of 70,000 is not reflected on this chart. He testified to that amount, and he further testified that users 9 and 26 were not, those figures were not included in that calculation. But, Your Honor, if we go to the first page and look at user number 20. User 20. Less than three seconds, validated or compared and verified 13,749 ballots at a rate of 99.88%. User 31, 21,471 ballots at 99.84%. Flipping to the next page, user 34. Hold on a second. You're jumping around on columns here. I'm, all, I'm sticking all the way to the right-hand column, Your Honor. That's the less than three seconds, which is the... I got it. Uh, second to the second in from the right, user 20. I got that. And what was the next figure used? 31, Your Honor. 21,401 ballots okay. at 99.84%. Going to the next page. User 34, 6,563 ballots at a pass rate of 99.77%. There are a number of others on this page. We can flip to user 79 on the third page. 27,196 at 100% pass rate. Next page, user 112. 20,932 at 99.96%. 
And I'm just giving a sampling of these, Your Honor. User 134, 19,805 ballots at a pass rate of 99.7%. Last page, user number 135, 24,414 ballots at a pass rate of 99.88%. Those ballots and others, all others in that column were being compared purportedly and verified in less than three seconds each, all with a pass rate that was the vast, vast majority of all of them in the column are above 99%. By way of comparison, Mr. Valenzuela testified that when he reviewed approximately 1,600 ballots, he, reject, he rejected about 311. That's a pass rate of about 81%. One point I do want to make, Your Honor, on Exhibit 47, because I believe counsel was trying to argue something with what the total verifications are on the last page where it says one council was trying to argue something with what the total verifications are on the last page where it says one one million four hundred seen five twenty verifications. Mm -hmm. To the extent that council would argue that that number is different than the number of mail in ballot signatures that were that came in as Mr. Valenzuela testified, these verifications, you can have more because you can have a level one, not pass, a signature. It goes up to level two, and then it's reversed, and that's two touches, therefore two log entries. So to the extent counsel would make an argument that the 1.416 million figure means somehow that the data on this chart is inaccurate, that would be false. Another point that we've heard a lot of testimony and questions about as to whether or not the data reflected on Exhibit 47 involves averages. There are no averages here. As Mr. Spikeen testified, I have a video clip of that, but I could, but I, I, I see your honor gets that. There are no averages. The data on this chart is a straightforward filtering of data of the number of comparisons and verifications of signatures by each individual user. The percentage is not an average. It's the percentage of those signatures that have been deemed verified and consistent versus those that have been accepted, not EXC, not ACC. So there are no averages here, Yana. This whole argument about baseball analogies affecting the rate and, and all this that Mr. Liddy was making is false. It's simply not true. These are straightforward numbers. There are no averages. There were approximately 274,000 ballots, ballot signatures compared and verified in less than three seconds. To the extent some of the other uh, issues that Mr. Valenzuela testified to, they're immaterial to that number. 
For example, Mr. Valenzuela testified that no ballots, ballots that had no signature, that they could come back and be processed very quickly. Well, there's about 1,400. That has an immaterial impact on 274,000. Even accepting the cured ballots, and even accepting for argument's sake that those cured ballots were verified by the signature at less than three seconds, there's only 16,000. It's an immaterial effect. That still leaves 256,000 ballots that were compared, allegedly, or purportedly, and verified in a time that Mr. Spikeen, an expert in signature, signature verification evaluation, said is, is simply not possible to do. The one audit that Maricopa talks about is a 2% spot check. But when signature verification workers are passing at 99 plus percent rates, hundreds of thousands of ballots, that's immaterial. And more to the point, Mr. Valenzuela testified that they monitor each worker every day. They know what's going on. So here you have Mr. Valenzuela, who's testified that he is doing level one review in his office and uh, out of camera, out of sight, like apparently 99 other workers, but that he testified he rejected about 19% of the ballots. But all these workers are speed demoning through, verifying, comparing and verifying signatures at 99.9, pass rates. Maricopa knows that the sham clicking through the ballot images just to get through the 1.3 million ballots, including the 299 or 98 that arrived on November 9th and were processed in two and a half days, is not actual signature verification. That's no review in accordance with the law. And again, if you're not complying with the law, the purpose of the law is to be a gatekeeper. Simply flashing a screen with a signature in front and not making even a minimum comparison to determine whether it's inconsistent is not signature verification. Mr. Spikeen testified that it is simply not possible to do, particularly in the context of a mass comparison verification system such as that in Maricopa County in the 2022 general election. We're not arguing and claiming that signature verification workers are doing a poor job. What Mr. Spikeen testified to is there is no comparison going on. The defendants did not offer any expert in rebuttal to Mr. Spikeen's testimony. They could have. We've already heard testimony that they brought in a woman by the name of Kathy Nicolaitis <laughs> to train level one and level two workers. She was certainly available. As Mr. Spikeen testified, it's on her website that she 
helps train Maricopa workers. This issue was no. They did not bring in any recognized expert, including one that they themselves have employed to put on the facade that they're actually doing signature review to say, no, no, that Mr. Spikine's wrong, can do a signature comparison and verify that signature in compliance with 16550. Nor did the defendants rebut the data. They've known that the data that underpins the numbers in Exhibit 47, which is explosive, 274,000 ballots supposedly compared and verified in less than three seconds. They did not bring an expert to dispute any of the data. Mr. Valenzuela quibbled with some of it, but he is, by his own admission, not an expert, and he was just wrong in trying to conflate averages with percentages. He didn't know, for example, that user number 9 and 26 was not included in Mr. Spikine's testimony, or he ignored it. They've known about that data since we first disclosed it on last Friday in Mr. Spikine's declaration. They've known about it in terms of the Rule 60 motion that we filed on Monday, where we disclosed all of this, this data, but they didn't bring anybody. They didn't ask a rebuttal. They're not disputing Mr. Spikine's testimony that it is not possible to compare and verify a signature, determine consistency as those terms are commonly understood in the English language dictionary. Signature verification, Your Honor, is not a joke. It's not something to get through. It is the gatekeeper defense to fraud. The Arizona Supreme Court gave us a task. That was to show that we can prove our claim, plaintiff Carrie Lake's claim, that ARS 16-672 and 16-550 established that, quote, votes were affected in sufficient numbers to alter the outcome of the election based on a competent mathematical basis to conclude that the outcome would plausibly have been different and not simply tethered to an assertion of uncertainty. We've done that based on defendants' own data. Mr. Valenzuela was kind of all over the map saying, well, you Definitely couldn't compare a ballot within half a second, and then uncertain it would be one to two seconds, and then two to four, and so forth. That's a standard, but they offered no proof. They offered no proof to rebut, from expert to rebut our expert, that it simply cannot be done within the definition of comparing a signature. It's physically possible. Your Honor, we have shown by unrebutted clear and convincing evidence 
that defendants did not perform signature verification in accordance with 16550 with respect to approximately 274,000 ballots. The precise number is in the table. And in fact, 70,000 ballots approximately were purportedly compared and verified within less than two seconds. And again, Your Honor, this is not simply where the two viewers, these ballots were being passed as Mr. Spikine testified at a 99% or greater approval rate. The vast majority of the 274 were above 99%. Same with the 70,000. That means once that level one signature verifying, verifying worker reportedly compared, verified, and clicked pass, that was the end of the review. Those ballots entered the system except for a 2% audit, which would not have much of a chance of catching anything. Your Honor, the case of Ray's fee coming, which is the theory that we have brought this case on, that Maricopa is not performing signature view in accordance with the plain language of the statute, stated the following. In Ray's, the Court of Appeals stated, the Miller Court first considered the nature of the statute at issue in that case. At first blush, mailing versus hand delivery may seem unimportant. But in the context of absentee voting, it is very important. The court held that ARS section 16542B advanced the constitutional goal of protecting a behind the closed doors ballot by setting forth procedural safeguards to prevent undue influence, fraud, ballot tampering, and voter intimidation. The quote from that case begins with, by setting forth the procedural safeguards to prevent undue influence, fraud, ballot tampering, and voter intimidation. These same values are protected by ARS Section 1650A. It guarantees that the absentee ballots are being cast by the registered voters and prevents fraud and ballot tampering. And then the Court of Appeals cited the Arizona Constitution at Article 7, Section 12, quote, there shall be enacted registration and other laws to secure the purity of elections and guard against abuses of the elective franchise. The court continued, the instant case illustrates manifest importance of signature comparison because almost one-third of the votes were cast by absentee ballot, and each candidate personally returned many of the sealed ballots. In Maricopa County, there are, again, 80% are main ballots. Your Honor, the election contests between Carrie, Hake, Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs was decided by 17,117 votes. That, however, is out of 2.559 million votes, a difference between the two candidates of 
5%. The number of ballots at issue, whether the court were to set aside for illegality the 70,000, the 274,000 in a proportional manner, or in a underground B laws, proportionality is the standard. Under Miller, it could be a straightforward calculation. This election should be set aside. Your Honor, the election was unlawful. 16550 was not complied with. Defendants don't dispute our expert. They don't dispute the evidence. Trust must be restored, Your Honor. Following the law requires acting in accordance with its expressed terms. It's that compliance that builds faith in the system. And it's non-compliance that destroys it. And just as you saw Ms. Onakai testify, she saw firsthand what goes on in Maricopa County during the elections. Same with Mr. Myers. As he said, the math didn't add up. Your Honor, we request that this election be set aside. Thank you. Mr. Liddy. Thank you, Your Honor. First time we heard in the last three days anything about fraud. That's kind of new. No evidence was put on fraud. Your Honor, just heard that defendants did not dispute the data of Mr. Spikine. Oh, yes, we did, Your Honor. The moment it was first presented in this courtroom, we objected to foundation. We don't know what all those numbers are. We didn't know where they came from. And this court ruled that that document, document 47, was not coming in as evidence to prove the matter asserted therein. But no foundation was laid for any of those numbers. Respectfully, Your Honor, this court should not consider those numbers during its deliberation as to whether or not Contestor Lake and her team have met their burden. The court only admitted that chart for the sole purpose of the witness saying that his opinions were based on that. That's it. Not a single witness came before you, Your Honor, this week 
and said that a single ballot packet affidavit envelope was not reviewed for signature in accordance with 16550A. Not a single witness. Not a single ballot. Not this number we hear about, 274,000. Mr. Spikey never testified that 274,000 ballot packets were not reviewed for signature. That's not in the record. And as this, Your Honor, well knows, nothing that I say in opening and closing and nothing that counsel for Ms. Lake says in closing is evidence. Summation, argument, no evidence. <laughs> so I would respectfully submit that this claim that there's 274,000 ballots that were not compared, checked for inconsistency with a recorder's record as required by the law, occurred. No one said it didn't occur. There's no evidence of that. What evidence do we have, Your Honor? Fair amount. Much of it admittedly very credible. Let's start with Jacqueline on a kite. What did we all learn from this woman who so obviously loves her country and loves her grandchildren that she would invest so much of her personal time to be trained in classroom setting and in practicum and then to show up for work day after day after day in order to ensure that we have competent elections. Now, what did she say? She said she was thoroughly trained, Your Honor. She said she was provided with the signatures on front of the computer screen to review the 2022 affidavits provided to be, and also provided with the past signatures. And she was trained to look for, and she did in fact look for slants and loops and cursive versus block letters, her testimony. She testified that she came in every day, logged in, and got a new batch of 250 signatures. They would pop up, her words, Your Honor. And she would verify them by comparing the signatures with the voter's record. Again, her words, Your Honor. She testified that some were very difficult. She testified that those that were difficult took more time. And in the end, if she could not find the indicia based on her training that they were similar to the record in the recorders, then she would put them in the exception pile because she could not find that they were consistent. She even testified that sometimes they would come back. Now, she was somewhat frustrated by that. And again, she said, she'd look at it, and if she did not find the indicia of consistency, she would not good sig that signature. She would label it as, as exception and move on to level two. 
She testified that she worked day after day as a level one reviewer and that she knew level two reviewers. She congregated them during the breaks, had snacks and beverages with them. She said that those that worked on level two had more signatures to compare by. And she said that they, by and large, had more experience, had done this in previous years. Jacqueline Onokite said that there was a whiteboard where they kept the number of ballot packets up, a goal for the day. She testified that she had two managers whose names she could remember, Tony and Celia. Celia, she testified with the director. And, Your Honor, she told this court that her supervisor told her to look again and again for any inconsistency. And if it was inconsistent, mark it exception, her words. Do not good sig. And she assured this court and she assured everybody in Arizona that she did not ever do that. Well, that's some pretty good evidence that Maricopa County did signature verification in accordance with 16550A. As the burden on the contester under Reyes is that it did not happen at all. I would argue in closing that that is absurd and that that argument is dead. But in the event, Your Honor, is not persuaded. We heard from a very competent and very earnest patriotic American, Andrew Myers, who, like his counterparts, loves his country and its process of elections enough to dedicate his time to come in and be trained. And you heard about that, Your Honor. He said he even got involved in curing. And as they moved along in the process, his words, he was trained to verify everything with four points before you could pass it on. His words, Your Honor. No goes would go to level two for review. His words, Your Honor. His testimony. He was trained to look from the left to the right for the slant of the cursive or the box printing and to the spacing in between the first name and the last name. And that he was his practice of his training was to look at the overall signature. And he testified under oath that that's exactly what he did. And he testified just like the individual who's depicted on the left chair in exit 19. And as they went on, he was asked to do less and less level one signature verification and more and more curing. Another obligation of the Maricopa County Recorder and his outstanding team. I might do a couple of batches in the morning of signatures and then I go right to curing for the afternoon said Mr. Myers. He said when he was in there, he's six foot by three foot folding tables. And there were baker's racks lined up against the walls. 
And that the process, well, there were 23 U.S. postal bins on the Baker's racks, and that's from where they got their postal, uh, their, um, their, their affidavit envelopes, their ballot packets, if you will. How many signature reviewers and managers were there, he was asked. It's been a long time, he said. He didn't really know. But he thought the number was... In the 20s. Well, he knew he wasn't alone. No, he said 40. I think. He said he worked on signature verification straight up, quote, straight up until the last day permitted after the election. And there were others, he said, that were on the night shift. He said he knew of at least six or seven that worked on the night shift. Your Honor, that's some pretty good evidence that Maricopa County did, in fact, execute signature verification. Your Honor, Mr. Spikine's data and his data analysis is somewhat of a mystery. It was represented that it came, that he was part of a team that created it, and that it, the basis of it was data that was sent from Maricopa County to a group called We the People Alliance, pursuant to a public records request. The math, whatever that was, it was done in the bottom right-hand column of that demonstrative. I would ask Your Honor to do that math on your own. But moreover, I would say that the numbers on that are not in evidence for deliberation. That if, in fact, there was enough interest to see the actual data that came over, you should look to this evidence and... Exhibit 20, which is the CD-ROM, if I'm not mistaken. The Supreme Court remanded this case on a very narrow issue, Your Honor. Can Ms. Lake prove by clear and convincing evidence that the recorder failed? Can Ms. Lake prove by clear and convincing evidence that the recorder failed
All right, so there's some sort of uh, issue, but it's not on my end. It's on the court's end. Let me back out and try to go back in. Case and a very narrow issue, Your Honor. Can Ms. Lake prove by clear and convincing evidence that the recorder failed? Well, I just checked a couple of other feeds, and everybody seems to be having this problem, so it's on the court's end. Maybe George Soros uh, paid some hackers. I don't know. Well, I just checked a couple of Oh, God. I can hear myself. So we're just hanging out waiting for this to come back up, and this is very unfortunate because we're in the middle of closing arguments, although we're in the middle of closing arguments from the county, and who wants to hear all that bull crap? God, their attorneys are so arrogant. It's basically just like, we're from the county, and we say so, and you just trust us, okay? Because we're Maricopa County, and, and that's it, Your Honor. They failed to refute any of the numbers that were put forth by Eric Spikeen. They basically just challenged the validity of the actual uh, evidence, and, and tried to get it so that it's not actually submitted into the court record. But let me give you a little bit of a, an analysis of what I think so far. <clears throat> because I'm not really going to be able to provide commentary afterwards. I have to put my kid to bed. Right? I mean, I've been running around chasing this kid all day, so my attention's been very divided. But basically what I think so far. Um, let's remember something. We have this data set provided by Eric Spikeen, which was basically based on the information provided through a public records request from Maricopa County. So Maricopa County turned over this data, and then Eric Spikeen put it into a data set in some other format, I guess, like a spreadsheet. And what, what was determined based on the county's own data is that there's 274,000 ballots that were reviewed in less than three seconds and 70,000 ballots reviewed in less than two seconds. And the 70,000 ballots had an approval rating of over 99%, which is absurd. Now, something Spikeen noted is that the quicker they were approving these ballots, right, the higher, the, the, the quicker they were, like, okay, the 274,000 ballots reviewed in less than three seconds versus the 70,000 reviewed in less than two seconds, the quicker they were reviewing them, the higher the approval rating. 
which is counterintuitive because he also noted that it takes longer to actually uh, approve a signature than it does to reject one. So what this indicates is that they're basically not conducting a signature review. I think they've clearly established that. They proved that no signature review occurred on over 300,000 ballots. But the question here, the big, big question, is whether or not Carrie Lake and her attorneys have proved that a lack of signature review uh, rendered a change in the outcome of the election. Because that's what Carrie Lake has to prove. That's her burden here. She has to prove that not only was there a lack of signature review, but that the lack of signature review would have rendered the outcome of the election different. And unfortunately, and I'm, be I'm being completely transparent with you guys with this, I don't see that they've established that. And it's not a fault on part of Carrie Lake's attorneys. The problem here is that we have, we have these parameters set by the judge. The judge allowed this count to go back to trial. But there's been no additional discovery. There's been no review of the actual ballot affidavits. And the whole thing here is we are alleging that they were approving bad signatures. Right? That's what Carrie Lake's argument was originally. That's why she included the evidence of Shelby Bush, who conducted a review of the 2020 ballots and found over 260,000 bad signatures, much higher than what Maricopa County reported in the 2020 election. So the, the whole premise of her argument is not that they were reviewing signatures too fast. The premise here is that they were approving illegal ballots, which benefited Katie Hobbs. But unfortunately, this judge has not allowed a review of the actual signatures. And therefore, we're sitting in court arguing, arguing about how long it took them to approve the signatures. See, Kurt Olson and Brian Blem, what they're doing is they're having to argue within this narrow framework set by the judge, and they're doing the best that they can. But the reality is, based on the parameters set by the judge and the lack of an additional...
Okay, I gotta begin by again. He's very unhappy with the fact that I'm trying to give commentary when I'm supposed to be giving him a bath. So it looks like they're actually back up. Um, the cut to the feed has been resolved. So I'm gonna pull it back up. Again, I'm not gonna be able to provide commentary afterwards. But yeah, let's just remember, the fraud happened when Scott Jarrett, the Maricopa County Elections Director, manipulated the machines, which we know based on the Ruth McGregor report, this uh, former Supreme Court justice who investigated the root cause of why the machines broke down on Election Day and discovered that four out of the 12 printers that they investigated were randomly spitting out 19-inch ballots, and that's because they were programmed to do so, which caused the machines to break down and caused mass voter disenfranchisement. That's where the fraud occurred. We also know they conducted secret testing on the machines, and that's when they manipulated the sensitivity of the Dominion machines to reject more ballots. So that's where the fraud occurred, and the judge didn't allow any of that evidence into his court. So we're sitting here arguing about the time it takes Maricopa County to review a ballot, and uh, we're trying to make an argument that, you know, this lack of a sufficient signature review rendered a change in the outcome of the election. And that's not going to fly with this judge, and he knows that. And that's why he set the parameters the way that he did. So, I don't think this is going to bear well in the end for Kerry Lake, and I'm just being honest with you guys. And I said it from the start, but that's not the fault of the attorneys representing Kerry Lake. That's the fault of this judge, and Kerry Lake is going to have to immediately appeal this to the appellate court, the Arizona Supreme Court, and ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court. That's my prediction um, of what's going to happen here, and that's my synopsis and my analysis. But although, um, then again, I'm just a ginger in his guest. In October 2022, when asked whether she would accept the results of the 2022 gubernatorial election if she lost, Ms. Lake responded, I'm going to win the election, and I will accept that result. In Ms. Lake's own words, then, this election contest was a foregone conclusion before a single ballot was cast or counted, and certainly before a single signature was verified. Her most recent version of her ever-evolving signature verification claim only proves as much as she now contends that the sheer number of minutes and seconds in a day and the number of workers hired by Maricopa County precluded any signature verification process. But Lake's new theory is quite possibly her most absurd yet. First, the number of signature verification workers and the time allotted were established well in advance of the election. As Mr. Valenzuela testified just hours ago, the Maricopa County Elections Plan, published six months before the election, reveals the number of signature verification workers the county planned to hire specifically for the 2022 election. As Lake's counsel have been repeatedly reminded, we are not here to litigate a process that could have been challenged before the election. Second, Lake's theory is contradicted by the objective data regarding the number of signatures that were flagged as potential mismatches or exceptions at level one, ultimately rejected at level two, and finally, and importantly, cured. And third, this newfound assertion that no signature verification took place is undermined by Lake's very own witnesses 
who participated in the level one venture verification process conducted cures and testified to the additional layers of review above them. Ms. Onikite, for example, testified as a level one signature verification worker. She performs signature verification on hundreds of affidavit envelopes daily and further testified as to the signature verification conducted at level two by hardworking managers. Mr. Myers also testified that he performed his duties as a level one signature verification worker and at curing and testified to the, to use his own words, caliber and work ethic of higher level reviewers. And crucially, Mr. Valenzuela, co-director of elections, testified based on his personal knowledge that all three levels of signature verification and curing were performed in Maricopa County during the 2022 general election. The most charitable view of Lake's case boils down to the simple assertion that unless Lake or her allies personally observed with their own eyes every signature reviewer and every signature, the signature verification process couldn't have happened. But the evidence proves that Maricopa County engaged in a robust signature process, notwithstanding Ms. Lake's inability to oversee that process and her refusal to believe in it. And for this court to presume misconduct based on Lake's and her witnesses' lack of knowledge about what happened during the 2022 election flies in the face of the core presumptions that govern election contests like this one in favor of the validity of the election, the good faith and honesty of election officials, and the accuracy of election returns. At the end of the day, all Miss Lake claims, all she has ever claimed, is that because she lost the election, something, anything must be amiss. Seven months after the people of Arizona elected Governor Katie Hobbs to office, Miss Lake continues to make good on her refusal to accept defeat no matter the cost to Arizona courts, these parties, or the voters and taxpayers of state. Ultimately, the simplest explanation is not the complete failure of the signature verification system at every level. It is not that the Republican election officials secretly conspired to rig the vote against the Republican candidate. It's not that Maricopa is somehow uniquely plagued with thousands of fraudulent voters signing thousands of fraudulent ballots. But it is that Carrie Lake lost an election. Carrie Lake lost this election, and she's clearly unhappy about it. But that is not a problem for this court or any court to continue to try to solve. Every second that this contest continues without any actual evidence is an attack on election integrity, on democracy, and on Arizona's strong public policy favoring the stability and finality of election results. Your Honor, we respectfully ask the court to deny Ms. Lake's remaining claim and put an end to this contest. Thank you. Very well. I think we're on the rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor. Your Honor. 
The defendants have proved our case by citing the testimony of Mr. Myers and Ms. Onekite. They did their job right, just as was described, how they would compare a signature before verifying. They were diligent. <clears throat> that takes time. It's not sitting in front of a computer screen and pecking on the keyboard like a woodpecker in less than three seconds every time and scrolling through. They did their job right. Our claim is not that there was fraud. Our claim is that Maricopa County did not follow the statute 16550 as written. And that that constitutes a raise claim. With respect to the data, Mr. Valenzuela testified today that he was accessing it. I forgot the, what he said he was doing, but he was running the numbers on certain users and everything else. If there was something wrong with the numbers on Exhibit 47 or any of the numbers which Mr. Spikine testified to, and Mr. Spikine's testimony is admissible evidence, regardless of whether Exhibit 47 is, Mr. Spikine's testimony is admissible. You can bet that with all of their resources, they would have taken that chart, run the numbers with their own data, and said, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. You're all wet. Why are you here? They didn't do that. Because the numbers are real, they don't dispute them. Mr. Lee brought up, as did some of the other counsel, that we changed our allegations. Your Honor, it's been through the briefing. They cite paragraph 151 in terms of whether or not a determination uh, that was uh, that the ballot had not been verified made it through. That's not our claim, as Your Honor has already ruled in its May 15th order. Rule A pleading, we set forth our claim. It's always been that there was simply never enough time to perform signature verification in accordance with the statute given the flood of ballots. That is our claim. That is a raised claim, Your Honor. Counsel for Katie Hobbs stated that the number of signature verification workers was disclosed. And it was. But as Mr. Valenzuela testified, it was a goal. The question is, again, how is it that you can have cameras and all the accoutrement of a signature verification room, people watching the live feed, observers, this is all going very well. This is where our Mrs. Onakite and Mr. Myers were working. It's a facade. The fact is, there were 99 other workers employed by Maricopa County who were under no transparency, no observers, who were free to do whatever they wanted. And when you have 274,000 ballots being processed in less than three seconds, Your Honor, that's not following the law. Thank you.
I will take the matter under advisement. I'll render my ruling in accordance with 16676. Be adjourned. Thank you, Your Honor. Make sure this finds its way back to where the other exhibits are right now. Somebody. So that ended a lot quicker than I thought it was going to. I guess I can give a minute or two of commentary. And I just want to reiterate what I was trying to say. Um, you know, the stream was cut, and then Van unplugged my computer, and then the stream came back up when I was in the middle of a sentence. So basically what I'm trying to say, what I was trying to say earlier, is that the whole problem here is Carrie Lake and her attorneys are trying to make an argument in a narrow window that has been set by the judge by allowing this count three to go back to trial, but by saying Carrie Lake must prove that there was no signature verification whatsoever and that the lack of signature verification caused a change in the outcome of the election. Okay? But she has not been granted an inspection of the mail-in ballot affidavits. In order for her to prove that the outcome of the election would have been different, she would need to actually look at these signatures that were approved in under three seconds and see if these illegal signatures favored Katie Hobbs, right? Because you, in order to exclude these ballots from the count, you would need to actually not just prove that they were uh, ballots that were illegal because they did not conduct a, a proper signature review, but you would also need to differentiate who these ballots were for in order to eliminate them, and uh, the judge isn't going to allow her to do that. There was no additional discovery items whatsoever, no additional inspection granted to the plaintiff, and so this is this is all BS. And uh, like I said, my my little prediction is that this is going to be dismissed. Um, I hate to say that. I hope that Carrie Lake plans to appeal this immediately. Um, but at the end of the day, this was <laughs> the real issue here was illegal ballots with bad signatures being counted and mass voter disenfranchisement caused by machine breakdowns. And the judge hasn't allowed her to really present the real evidence on the table that the, the, the ballot on demand printers were manipulated by Scott Jarrett. All right, my kid's upset. So. That's all I can say for now. Thank you all for sticking through for the past three days. Uh, let's let me not be Mr. Doom and Gloom. Let's hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Because again, this is the same judge that dismissed this count for latches in the first place, and ultimately dismissed um, the case entirely after the first trial. So, you know, I don't want to build you up to a big letdown, but I also don't want to be Mr. Doom and Gloom. But that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, what a marathon. Almost, what was it, eight hours Wednesday, eight hours Thursday, and six hours today. So, <laughs> wow, that's a lot of information to take in. And I'll have to go back and review and look at the Twitter threads from people like Tracy Beans and whatnot over the past uh, couple days and see if there's anything I missed. 
But I don't think we'll get a decision from this judge until a couple weeks. Same thing with Apama Day. Apama Day seeking a new trial, and the judge is taking that under advisement as well. So we got a little bit of a waiting game till we get the final verdict in both of those cases. But again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, click the like button. Subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you next time. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a break through in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new ebooks titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.